Welcome to episode 24 of All Us Geeks. I'm Jeff King. And I'm Jordan Steinhoff. And we're here to give voice to your inner geek. You know what? For our general conversation, the first thing I want to lead out with, because this is funny, you and I actually talked about it last episode before we started recording, and then I just completely wiped it when we hit record. Uh, Way to Mar- go. March. March was our one-year anniversary of All Us Geeks. Mm. We took the month off, but... <laughs> <laughs> we celebrated. Hey, hey, you know, we deserve a vacation. And uh, actually, what I, I found kind of interesting, I think I, I told you this, I actually went back, because, you know, we've had hiatuses here and there, and not counting when we when we started pulling out geek news and not counting when we started pulling out Kickstarter stuff, but counting special episodes, like so the point fives and stuff, we actually did put out a year worth of material. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to be short, but we weren't. We we gave you. What do you guys want? <laughs> uh, so I thought that was kind of cool. I, I we uh, we were able to come up with a year's worth of content. Yay us! Yay! <laughs> Virtual high five. <laughs> <laughs> Internet high five. Internet high five. Place palm here. Love us, damn it! <laughs> Speaking of which. Contests. There you go. Okay, the one thing I did not do since I was at work in this, I didn't uh grab what we would give away for the Twitter one. I'm trying to think. I, I we've got we've got a bit of a prize pool downstairs. I thought about maybe I, maybe we'll just uh give a list of like five things and the winner can pick what they want out of that out of those five. Sure. So for those who recall, we've talked about it the last couple times, but I wanted to do a Twitter contest for our Twitter listeners because we did the Facebook reach 100 likes a while back. Our Twitter is actually up over 400 followers at the moment. But I'm not one of them. But Jordan will never be one of them or control the Twitter account, apparently. (laughs) I wanted to do something for our listeners, so people that actually I know listen to the podcast and are on Twitter. So, okay, so we've got like four or five things, or we've got a bunch of things. I'll pick like four or five things, and the winner will be able to choose from. One of them I I can think of off the top of my head that I'll just go ahead and put out there, like uh, Monolith, which was a fairly recent Kickstarter. I have a a copy of Monolith, so I'll add that as one of the five things to the list. But I'll have to go downstairs and go through the what we have left. So how to win. Here's what we thought we would do. One, obviously you got to follow us on Twitter. So be a follower and then send us the following message. Uh, so, uh, target us. So at all us geeks. Uh, and then you've got 117 characters to do whatever you want with. So congratulate us on a year. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Cuss out Jordan for not being on Twitter. However you want to use those 117 characters, that's completely up to you. But then at the end of it, the hashtag is hashtag A U G I listen. So use that. Send them in this contest and the, and the next one we're going to talk about. That's right. Two. I said two. The next one we're going to talk about. I'm going to have run until July 14th at 1159 PM. So you got plenty of time. What do you think? Multi- multiple entries, single entry. Multiple, but we're right. still only going to pick one. 
Well, I, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> throw them all on, you know. So, yeah, you can send multiple entries. Jordan just made an executive decision on that because he doesn't care. He doesn't. I'm not going to be. He doesn't I'm do not going to be watching the thread. He doesn't do anything on Twitter. So. Make at, Jeff work. Make Jeff work for this contest. Yes, because Jeff does nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, at all us geeks. And then you got 117 characters to play with. And then hashtag A-U-G, I listen. All right. This, I'm not going to post this. I'm just in the show notes. It's just basically going to say Twitter contest. I want this to be for people that actually listen or people that see what you're doing, I guess, and copy you. (laughs) But, you know, I'm not throwing in, I'm not, unless you say something, I'm not throwing in there for this contest, share and blah, blah, blah. No, but if you want, if you want somebody that you know to be a part of it, just, you know, share, have them come follow us on Twitter. So that's that one. And then we talked about doing the voicemail one because you didn't like my idea because Jeff paid that bill. (laughs) So damn it. (laughs) Let's use it. So for our voicemail, which is connected to our Skype account. So you can Skype us at all us geeks or the phone number is one nine five two two three six geek, which is one nine five two two three six four three three five. For that one, we are going to give away uh, the uh, Cards Against Humanity and the three expansions. So, adults only. <laughs> what I'm going to need on that one is just le- for you to leave a voicemail. And this is going to be fairly simple. Uh, at the front of it, please give us a way to identify you. So, your name, uh, either a number to call back, an email, something so that we can contact you to let you know you've won. And we will cut that. Some of these we may share. Uh, as, oh, winner as, will be broadcast. Well, wh- wh- winner will enough. definitely be broadcast. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've, I've beeped before. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, winner will be broadcast. We may share some as we go along though, cause again, this goes till July 14th. Maybe to get some other people motivated, but leave a voicemail, identify yourself and how to contact you and then record the following. Listening to all us geeks is like blank without the blank. Go nuts. Use your imagination. <laughs> do what you got to do. We have fairly thick skin. <laughs> and we are regular players of Cards Against Humanity. You, these do, uh, do not have to be cards from Cards Against Humanity. Just fill in the blanks. Fill in the blanks. you see fit. Yep. Let us know. Make Jeff cry. <laughs> I'm already crying inside. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Two contests. Uh, so one, the Twitter one, you'll have your choice of the uh, one of five games. And the voicemail one, uh, you will get Cards Against Humanity and the three expansions. July 14th, 11.59 p.m. Central Time. Three expansions or four? Does that include the Christmas expansion? I did not, I do not have an extra copy of the little Christmas oh, booster pack. So sale. it's, it's the three main expansions. I'll forget about it, folks. Yeah, it's really not worth it. I mean, you know, the free stuff. <laughs> we talked about it before. Jordan and I did go to the RGC game day. I'm not going to actually go into the games. Uh, we'll just follow, we'll do that in the game segment, but, uh, had a pretty good time. Yep. It was, it was a good time. Got to do some stuff I've been trying, I've been trying to do for years now. That's not a confession. Got to do my. It's <laughs> <laughs> wondering why you were always going to the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> Mandatory Nate shout out. Nate was there. We talked a little bit. Non-game related stuff. So, always good to see Nate. The bromance was thick. 
Gen Con, we talked about it last time. We we're both going, but obviously, like every other geek in the world, we've been doing our event list, getting our tickets. <laughs> we're both trying to keep it pretty light, though. Well, I don't know what problems Cyrus was having. <laughs> I don't know, two, three times, or maybe it was just once on both his feeds, Facebook and Google. He was like, ah, and it's down, and it's down. <laughs> well, I had no problems. Yeah, you know. <laughs> When you wait. Get better internet, Cyrus. <laughs> or when you wait a few days. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> we weren't, we weren't day one. Just cause it opened Sunday at noon didn't mean you had to get everything Sunday. Well, you did if you wanted Shadowrun, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, we did miss out on our chance to check out fifth, Shadowrun fifth edition, which we both kind of wanted to do. But we got some other cool things. Uh, but we are keeping it kind of loose. If there's any listener that is going to Gen Con that I haven't already talked to, that might want to meet us or, or do some kind of uh, meet up with us, give us a shout. Podcast at allisgeeks.com. And we will try to make that happen. Still not sure if I'm going to do what all I'm going to do about it. I mean, we'll have uh, audio video stuff with us. I, I do have a press, pa- a press pass. So hopefully I can get some interviewee stuff out of that. Will, I will be going. I don't know if you're going to, I don't know if you had said it. I'm going to try to go to the, the uh, Game Crafter Game Night and the Game Crafter Social at uh, the pub. That is an easy way <laughs> to at least get a hold of me. I might tag along for a so- the social. I've, I've, <laughs> I've committed as best as I could with a maybe on the Facebook page. So. <laughs> That's our Jordan. Waffle. Waffle, waffle, waffle. People that have been asking me about the Game of crowdfunding, first of all, thank you. <laughs> uh, I, I'm glad people miss it, I guess, or... Or have noticed it's not around. I did actually. All right, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and say this here because actually I haven't even told you this because I was just too pissed. Breaking news, folks. Breaking news. Yeah, Jordan doesn't even know this. I sat down. Well, good. (laughs) I mean, I don't think we needed to broadcast. And then I stood up, put my left foot in. (laughs) (laughs) Believe it or not, I took it back out. No, I sat they down. Had problems fitting him for a coffin. <laughs> I sat down with Ray from uh, Ray Wares from Calliope Games. It all kind of happened. We, actually, we were trying to get it in uh, before Roll for It ended the Kickstarter, and uh, we sat down and had a, a great guy. And he wants to come on podcast proper, and I really want that to happen too. He's he's a good guy, and he's got a lot of experience in the gaming community. We talked for like a half hour and the audio corrupted. Oh, lost it all. And we just couldn't. And this was like the weekend that roll for it was ending. And so we didn't get a chance to do it again, but I want to have him back on. I want to talk about some of the same stuff we talked about because he's got some really nice perspective and really, really, uh, again, over the, I mean, 11, 12 years in the gaming industry and starting his own company, you know, and all that good stuff and, and his mission statement and, uh, great guy, but God, that just made me mad. <laughs> I had recorded that because I was going to do the last of the matches that were out there that have been finished. That Richard and I did. So here's the deal. I, I'm not sure. Richard and I haven't really been able to be in contact recently. I know he's been kind of busy. I know he just got back from uh, that crowdfunding boot camp here not too long ago, uh, which was a reschedule uh, because of flights and stuff. So I know he went and did that. 
I'm not 100% sure what's going to go on with the game of crowdfunding. All I know is I want to keep going with it. So maybe I'll be looking for another partner if, uh, Richard and I can't work out schedules. Cause again, the guy's busy. I know he's got a lot going on. I know he does a lot of traveling and does a lot of seminars. And of course, obviously has his own awesome podcast as well, funding the dream. Uh, so if him and I can touch base, that's great. And, I'd love to continue it with Richard, especially since I need a chance to catch up in points. <laughs> Cause if we, if we, if we close it right now, which maybe, you know, maybe that's what Richard wants. If we close it right now, he's winning. He won. He won the season or whatever you want to call it. But I'll, I'll try to figure something out. Cause I like the format we came up with and all of the feedback I got is everybody else does too, but it doesn't work solo. <laughs> <laughs> so uh I may be taking if if you hey there you go if you are passionate about Kickstarter and might want to do something like this with with us and again I'm going to the conversation with Richard I'm hoping to have so it, hopefully it may still be Richard and I but if you're interested in potentially uh giving that a shot with me again it's kind of a weekly thing about 20 minutes half hour let me know Podcast at allisgeeks.com. Shoot it over. All right, so now we have a guest with us. Who do we have on Skype today? Oh, this is Jamie Stegmeyer. I am the president and founder of Stonemeyer Games here in St. Louis. We published a game, or we are publishing a game called Viticulture that we funded on Kickstarter back in the fall. And we are currently funding a game called Euphoria, also on Kickstarter. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about Euphoria in a little bit, but uh, I kind of want to go back a little bit. Well, first of all, you know what? Let's do our questions. Should we do our questions? Let's do the questions. All right. We haven't we haven't done these questions in a while. We haven't had somebody on for a little bit, or I've spaced it a couple times, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, we got a couple questions we'd like to ask some guests. Sure. Are you ready? They're, they're I'm pretty, ready. They're pretty hard-hitting. All right. Besides your game company, uh, what do you do for a living or is that it at the moment? No, I do have a full-time day job. I work at uh, Washington University in St. Louis. I am the director of operations at uh, one of our departments here on, on campus. Okay. So you're not in IT? I'm not in IT. No. Hey! Behold! <laughs> only our second guest not in IT. <laughs> And uh, the other question is, what makes you a geek, sir? I would say it goes through and through. Like, I, I'm really passionate about geeky movies, science fiction, fantasy movies. I, I read a lot of dystopian fiction. I've designed games since I was a little kid. I think that by itself, that my passion as, like, an eight-year-old was to design a board game. That gives me some geeky cred, I hope. Yes, we will allow you to stay and continue on with this interview. <laughs> <laughs> How many people have you kicked off after that question? <laughs> oh, well, we, we've got a lot of lost tapes. <laughs> uh, no, that's great. And actually, it sounds like you uh, kind of fit right in. You're going to have to come back when you've got some time and uh, maybe hang out with us. Yeah, I'd love to. Jamie, here's kind of where I want to start with this. Okay, so you did Viticulture on Kickstarter, and that was your very first game, correct? Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I've been designing games for as a hobby since since I was a little kid, but Viticulture was the first game that I tried to publish or get published. And basically, how did how did Viticulture come to be before it hit Kickstarter? 
Well, I spent the previous year uh, designing and, and developing the game. I worked on it for about maybe two to three months before a friend of mine who also loves games uh, decided to to help me out. So, which really helped having a co-designer through that process. So, we we designed the game for for many months and then put it on Kickstarter about a year after we started designing and playtesting it. Real quick, why don't you let everybody know kind of what Viticulture is? Yeah, Viticulture is uh, it's a it's a game where you're kind of building up and running a vineyard. You're making wine. It's a worker placement game with elements like if uh, if you are familiar with Stone Age and Fresco, there's a lot of those two games kind of mixed in into uh, Viticulture, and it's about on the same level of of weight as those games in terms of level of strategy and tactical versus strategical balance. So it's, it's just a worker placement game where you are building up your, your vineyard, producing wine, and it's set in Tuscany. So it kind of has a romanticized feel to it. I've gotten a lot of good feedback about the art for the game. And that's kind of where you and I had some of our very early conversations because I actually had talked about viticulture on our former Kickstarter segment. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had the uh, famous Discussion with Colby, with Colby Dalk. <laughs> uh-huh. And then you and I talked a little bit about that, about theme versus mechanics and all that good stuff. Right. Why would you make a game about work? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just as a benchmark, uh, I'm going to share this with, with everybody. So Viticulture was a former Kickstarter. It was very successful. Jamie was looking for $25,000. He ended up raising $65,980 and had 942 backers. Mm-hmm. And the reason I kind of want to set that benchmark is because now we're going to move forward. You've got a new game out, Euphoria. And before we get into that, I just want to show you were looking for 15000 mm-hmm. You've raised over 90000 Right. And you've, you've got over 1,500 backers right now. And you're still got like 21 days left. This ends what? Like June 12th, right? If I remember. June 12th. Yeah. We're just over a week into the campaign right now. Right. So you've already far surpassed your last Kickstarter. And just to point out, too, that you're just now or you're still shipping Viticulture. So not everybody, including me, by the way, not everybody has their (laughs) copy of Viticulture yet. (laughs) But you've obviously got a very strong presence and a good game and a good campaign going that you've far surpassed. Your previous game, your your launch game, if you will. Yeah. Do you guys have any theories on why that is? Or are you going to ask me? Well, well I, I think it's very thematic, given yeah. the theme of your game. You're to Euphoria, according to its needs, you know, from everybody, according to their ability. So there's <laughs> right. the whole Marxist dialectic going on for this game. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it is, basically, you've shared your entire journey and experience with Kickstarter on your own website. Yeah. So... Yeah. You've not only and and help hopefully helped a lot of other people on on their way up through Kickstarter, but you've shared the lessons that you've learned, what you've done right, but you've also gone back and said, "Here's what I did wrong." Right. Obviously, you didn't repeat anything that you thought you did wrong on the second go around. Yeah, I mean, it's still definitely a learning process, but I definitely learned a lot the first time around, and and I learned a lot just by following other Kickstarter projects. That's one of the first things I recommend to people in the in, on my blog when I write about Kickstarter that it's really helpful just to back a few projects, even for just a dollar, just so you can follow the updates and see how they evolve and see what works and what doesn't work. But yeah, I'm definitely still learning with, with Euphoria. 
Did you find it easier this time or just better prepared, but then a whole different whack of uh, problems and issues? Uh, definitely better prepared. I, one thing I did with Viticulture, um, as I was launching the campaign, I kind of made the goal for myself to uh, try to get either a mention or an interview or a guest post on a different blog or podcast every day of the campaign. And that was work that I did. A lot of that I did during the campaign, um, which took a lot of time because I was also fixing the design of the game or not the, uh, the graphic design and the art for the game during the campaign. Um, with Euphoria, I decided to put a lot of kind of, I guess, personal savings at risk to have the art and design near complete before the campaign. So I didn't have to do that during the campaign. And even though we're doing this podcast right now, I, I did take care of a lot of the written interviews before the campaign and a lot of the blogger outreach, which has eased the pressure during the campaign quite a bit. I know, and this is kind of near and dear to us too, because we also do reviews. So uh-huh. I, I did see like one of, one of your things I've done wrong was, or thing, lessons that you learned about what you wouldn't do the same was to get reviews out early. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people are still learning that lesson the hard way. I think that, especially like, with Viticulture, do you do you feel that Viticulture, with it being your first game, if you would have been able to get those review copies out, that you would have actually even maybe done more, even though it was very successful, obviously. But right, well, with Viticulture, you know, that's a, I, I've thought about that a lot for first time creators on Kickstarter. If you are just a random dude like I was and still am, and you have a and you have a game and you send it out to somebody to review, I, I don't know how much. Like as as nice as a lot of the reviewers out there are, I don't know how they would respond to that. And so it really wasn't until we had gotten close to funding on Viticulture that reviewers really started responding and saying, "Yeah, okay, you've got something going on here. I'll, I'll take a look at it." With Euphoria, it's a lot easier because they saw what we did with Viticulture. They they can see what the game looks like at the very least and know that we produced a pretty high quality game. So for I think it changes when you when you're doing it your second time around. Okay. Yeah. But you also, it's it's about relationship building. Like, Crits Happen, Scott over at Crits Happen uh, did one of the, the reviews, or kind of a preview with some review elements before the campaign. It was really cool about it. He did a fantastic job. And over the last year, I've kind of gotten to know Scott to a certain extent, at least virtually through email and whatnot. We'll email every now and then. And I think that's a... a that's a huge asset. That's that's a great way to reach out to reviewers to just like read their reviews for a while, to follow their reviews, and every once in a while comment on them, send them an email when they when they post a particularly great review. That way, you're not just someone who goes to them when you need something. You are there supporting them for what they do all the time. Well, I, that brings up a good point. I mean, that's I know you've been on funding the dream in the past with like yeah. culture and stuff, and Richard and I have had that conversation off and on too, and. Uh, we we both are firm believers in the first time we hear about you shouldn't be hey do this for me right or at least from my perspective it, it should be I mean add some personality to it add some personal touches to it the first every time I get just like a straight up form letter I'm always like eh, all right uh, you know it's it's a right. little off putish kind of coming that way because I know when I try to talk to people and and stuff I kind of try to make it a little more personal. I mean, you know, you, like I said, you and I have had conversations prior to this launch <laughs> ab- oh, yeah. about various things. So, 
I, I think that is a, a very strong and very valid point that, again, it's one of those things I don't think a lot of people have learned because they're just getting to that point where it's like, okay, maybe I do need, maybe I do need to send out a review copy. All right. Well, I'll, I'll blast this out to six or seven people and hope somebody responds. And it's just right. very impersonal. Oh yeah. The, the word blast, it, <laughs> uh, it, that's spam to me. I, it just doesn't, I, I think one, one or two personal emails that show that you actually know who you're talking to and, and know their work and appreciate their work is so much better than a, an email blast of 50 different blogs. So, okay. So you're sitting at over 90,000 right now on Euphoria and you've got stretch goals out to 150,000, which I don't think you're going to have an issue probably meeting. <laughs> right. The one thing I really do love, and I think, and I don't know if this is something that you learned over from Viticulture. I think most of the stuff you did for Viticulture too, but I do like the fact that your stretch goals almost all directly relate back to game, game mechanics, uh, making the game better in some form or fashion. Yeah. And I, it's kind of a constant debate on Board Game Geek about stretch goals and if they should enhance and expand the game or if they should just make the game like look better or, or, you know, better card stock and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so what I decided to do with this campaign, and I'm not sure everyone agrees with this, but for all of the stretch goals that apply to everyone, apply to every copy of the game out there. Mm -hmm. um, even if, if we print retail versions after the Kickstarter campaign, those are all the ones that enhance and increase the, the amount of gameplay and the amount of variability. The, Kickstarter exclusive stretch goals, I think there are three of them right now. Those are the ones that just make the game, uh, like add something extra that looks really cool to the game, but doesn't, it's not taking anything away from people who miss out on the Kickstarter campaign. Like there's a box, a box sleeve that'll go on the board game box. And some people don't even care about the sleeve. They'll, they might just throw it away, which is totally fine. But it also will look really cool and might make some people feel special for back in the campaign. They have that kind of badge of honor if they want it. How do you guys feel about that balance? I personally think it's, it's great. And, uh, I have no problem with it. I, I've, it's not the first Kickstarter project that I've backed that the stretch goals have helped improve the overall game, meaning mm -hmm. again, beyond, uh, just the Kickstarter exclusive type thing. Uh, I'm fine either way that where I kind of waver a lot of times is, uh, on pledge levels and or Kickstarters that are, uh, or, uh, add-ons or stretch goals. Uh, well, add-ons, I don't care, but stretch goals or pledge levels that are like, do this and we'll give you, you know, a shirt, a coaster or, you know, something like that. Uh, yeah. That kind of stuff I don't care about as much. And, and usually there's no way around it other than to potentially jump a level and you're still going to get it anyway. Right. I know some people like this. I really don't. I don't know how many art prints I have sitting around my house right now that <laughs> I'm not going to ever do anything with. Yeah. And I would have been fine if the time and effort wasn't wasted for for myself personally. Right. <laughs> and there actually there there is an art print in viticulture. Um, some people do seem to appreciate. It. For most of that, that one was kind of a weird thing to add on. Although it is, I like what we did with that. But most of the add-ons for viticulture. I tried to make them thematic. Like there are coasters, like uh, you know, for your table, and you, it's a. You didn't know that when you came on All Us Geeks, Jeff was just going to crush you, <laughs> did you? <laughs> no, do it. I love it. 
No, but with the coasters, I actually it, it that that has a different like if you're making say you made a game about t-shirts, like it's a t-shirt making game, then I could see that there's a reason to put a t-shirt in the box. But uh, but with a wine making game, you might like coasters kind of go along with the theme. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't I don't want all that extra stuff. I just want a great game when I back something on Kickstarter. You're allowed to disagree with me. <laughs> <laughs> Most people do. Yeah, because I because I, I can edit it later anyway. <laughs> so you know what i mean we've we've kind of been talking about it a little bit but why don't you go ahead and, and uh give your high level uh spiel for euphoria because we haven't really actually said what it is sure sure yeah euphoria is a dystopian themed game where dice are your workers it's a worker placement game with dice the idea of the game is you are like in a lot of dystopian fiction you you start small and you build up and decide how you want to impact the world and either change the world to make it even more dystopian than before or to make it uh, a little better. That's where the subtitle for the game comes in, Build a Better Dystopia. So are you more of an Aldous Huxley or a, a George Orwell? I, well, I, I like them both. I, I, I love all, well, I don't want to say all, but almost all dystopian fiction that I've read, I really, really love. I'm a fan of both of those. I, I, I love Brave New World, and 1984 kind of gets a special reference in uh, one of our stretch goals. Well, I got to say, looking at the visuals in the video for that, I mean, I love the the bright and shiny, but still somewhat Stalinist-inspired box art. <laughs> and I thought there was, you know, just from my reading, there was definitely like a Metropolis feel, a Brave New World feel, you know, yeah. you know, in the description of of the uh, of the factions. So just thematically, this really appeals to me. So yeah, sorry, that was just little geeking out there so please continue <laughs> <laughs> well and some people have asked me why we call it euphoria euphoria has a connotation of uh, you know happiness and elation but i think sometimes we forget while we're reading dystopian fiction that people who are in dystopian fiction the characters most of them don't realize that they're in a dystopia the the governments or whatever powers are are, are at power in those books have done a really good job of glossing over that fact and making the world seem really good even though it's from our perspective, it's not good. And so that's the idea behind the name Euphoria, that everything is not as good as it seems. That's kind of the dramatic irony behind it. What's your next stretch goal? We are, I think we're about 4000 away from $100,000 right now. And that the stretch goal for 100000 100, is uh, the back. It's a Kickstarter exclusive. It's our first Kickstarter exclusive stretch goal. And the, the back of the game board will be a, a grayscale game board which might sound a little drab, but it, it looks, well, you guys can decide if you want, if it, if it looks awesome. It just, I went up um, a little while ago on the latest update, but it kind of looks, I don't know, when I saw, when my artist sent it to me, I was like, I want that in the game somewhere because it looks like a dystopian world. Yeah, I think it, total, it totally fits, and to have it yeah. being a, a, you know, a double-sided board to yeah. kind of play the side you want, it, I, I think that's that's great. Yeah. I know, uh, Jamie. Like I said, I know you're short on time tonight. I don't want to keep you too long. Oh, I've got I've got more time. If you guys have more. I'm oh actually... well, then. What do you think about? Uh, <laughs> have you listened to episodes uh, one through twenty two yet? Uh... <laughs> so comparing John Brunner and Ursula K. Le Guin, let's. Uh, how do you feel about the feminist dystopia? Yeah. All right. Well, this will this will be interesting because uh, tonight at uh, in about an hour, I host game night every every Wednesday. And this Wednesday, one potential backer from St. Louis 
potential euphoria backer emailed me and said, hey, I'm thinking about backing your game, but I want to play it first. And so I invited him to our game night. So he's a complete stranger. So this might be the last that anyone ever hears of me, this podcast right now. All right. So you've heard that. Yeah. Did you say, I'm sure I can create a real quick pledge level for you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, do you have an idea? Well, you know, you always see these uh, like thousand dollar pledge levels. Like, come to my house and I'll uh, play the game, and you and your friends and cook dinner and play with the designer. <laughs> yes. Wait, I had a couple of those levels for Viticulture. I think yep. for one hundred and forty nine dollars, I'll go. I'll go and have a game night with you and we'll play Viticulture. But what I realize as a designer, and what I hope, well, I wonder if other designers will realize this, is that if anyone ever wants to play one of my games and they want me to be there to be part of it. I am so excited to do that. Like that's that's flattering to me that they want to play my board game, and so I don't want to make people pay for that. I kind of I realized that after Viticulture, um, and I'm glad those people did pay for it because it helped fund it. But if anyone in St. Louis ever wants to play any of my games, I, I hope they let me know so I can go play with them. I'd love that. Well, you're just six hours or so away from Austin, so you know you can make a weekend <laughs> where we're at. And <laughs> You know, I did get invited to a gaming convention up there. I can't remember. Maybe StormCon is that up there? Con of the North, or is it Con of the North? Con of the North, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Con of the North is one we or I at least go to or try to go to every year. How big is it? Uh, what did they hit? They hit three hundred plus this past year. They're moving to a new location this year. That's a good size. We I just went to one in St. Louis called Geekway, and it was about six hundred, and that felt good to me. I don't know if how I'll handle Gen Con. <laughs> yeah, so uh, how about that? Why don't you uh, share your overall plans for Gen Con? Well, we're going in pretty blind. I mean, I've never been to a – Geekway was the first convention I've been to, and it was 600 people. And Gen Con, I think, is massively larger than that. So I think we'll we'll walk around just kind of like a deer in the headlights for four days and try to try to play Viticulture and play Euphoria with people. Anything that have you guys been? Anything that I should know? I've been before, but most of the times I've gone in the past, I was a booth monkey for Fantasy Flight Games. So okay. that's pretty much what I did. But uh, Jordan and I are both going this year. Cool. Hopefully we can meet up. You can have a booth, or you're just going to have tables somewhere with your games going. I think we're just going to, yeah, look around and, and find tables to play the games. By the time that we signed up, there wasn't really anything that we could get in terms of tables or booths. There is a room that's kind of a play test prototype board game card game area i'm actually going to try to hit that a little bit sometime during the weekend oh cool and you know what uh i almost forgot about this we might as well go ahead and give a shout out to uh some mutual friends so you know will and sarah yes well, yeah did you say they might be joining you on a segment on this podcast yeah they're Today's? they uh said that they uh were going to record their next uh lego segment for us uh this memorial weekend and then get it to me so hopefully i'll be able i'll get that and put it on this one great there i've never met them I, I i know them through the viticulture campaign and they i asked them to be on uh the stonemeyer games advisory board because they're just they are really really passionate about games they love games and so i look forward to hearing the segment i i don't know much about the their lego passion but mm-hmm. they're very intelligent i'm looking forward to what they have to say about it They've, yeah, they've done uh, one segment for us previously. Uh, they they kind of do uh, uh, roughly a quarterly segment, uh-huh. basically covering the uh, Lego geekdom because it's one thing that we don't really have uh, a lot of knowledge on, and uh, we kind of put a, the word out for some of our fans if they had some uh, 
geek knowledge areas that we weren't really that knowledgeable about that we were looking for segment suggestions and and will and sarah stepped forward so yeah and uh the last one i thought was really good i think they did i thought they did a really good job on the last one so looking forward to it as well yeah just a general question what uh what games that you guys have not played but that you know that you will soon play are you are you the most excited about Oh, oh, wait. Who's interviewing who here? Wait a minute. That's leading. I can't wait to play Viticulture. No, that's not. Man, when that euphoria comes. Wow. (laughs) Non-Stonemaier game. There's going to be something you're excited about. Actually, I am kind of, uh, I I will admit to, uh, I did get the email that my Viticulture is on the way, so I am kind of excited about that. Good. Should we just say the three games that you and I are going to do rule reads for? Sure. (laughs) That we've been talking? Okay. I have a fairly extensive game collection. <laughs> and uh there are understatement. Yeah. And there are a ton of things that we want to play that we haven't been able to get to the table and some of them have been years in the making. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh Jordan and I have kind of split up some rule uh reading. So, I am looking at uh, the rules for Ground Floor and Manhattan Project. Okay. And you are looking at Mage Knight. Yeah, the Mage Knight board game. Cool. So cool. those are things that we're looking at because, you know, I've had them for a while. We've both kind of wanted to play them. You know, it's it's first world problem, obviously. <laughs> but uh, on the reviewer side, being a reviewer, you know, and, and people sending you games and you deciding, you know, what to review. Sometimes our, our gaming is mapped out for us. Yeah. So what we try to do is we have a review queue and then we have a queue of what we want to play and we try to kind of intermingle the two whenever well, that possible. sounds bad we have the games we want well, to play and then stuff you know well okay so things that we wanted we want to play or we've, we've been excited about for a while but nobody has asked us to review how about that okay that there you go so yeah it's not necessarily yeah, it's, oh, I gotta play this but you know so we've got stuff that is sent to us to review and that that's in the queue and then we've got stuff like we've Wanted to play for a while. Uh, we just haven't gotten to it. We haven't been able to nece- maybe necessarily get through the rules, any of that good stuff. So we try to alternate between the two when we can and, and depending on who we can get together and all that good stuff. So I don't know when those will be played or when they'll potentially be reviewed, but that is uh, something that Jordan and I have talked about. We're at least going to get through the rules here soon. <laughs> I, ju- I just want to get Mage Knight on the table. It's like two and a half years old now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it'll be with expansion. Yes. I have that too. So how about you? Well, you actually mentioned one that I've been wanting to play for a while. I haven't quite bought it yet, but I'm getting close. But the Manhattan Project, I, I've read a lot about it, and one of the mechanics in it is is in Euphoria, the, the idea that you, you have a, a choice as to when you put workers down and when you pick them up. I like that aspect of Silk, and, and I, I look forward to that for the Manhattan Project. Yeah, that was kind of uh, that was one of the things I really kind of liked about Sulkin as as well. Kind of the where you put them down, what you're going to pay, and how long you're going to leave them out. Right. That's another one I want us to get to the table sometime. Yeah. Uh, I actually play. I actually played it at Con of the North. You're aware of Lance on Dead Viking, correct? Yes. Yeah. And his reviews. Lance, myself, and a few other people at Con of the North, we actually run an open gaming room for the last couple years. Actually, Lance, Lance and Zach, he goes by Zach Stack on uh, BGG. The two of them run it, and I've helped the last couple of years. I just want to make that clear. Uh, it's all it's all they're doing. They've done all the hard work and talking to the con people. 
Uh, but the last two years, we've had a, a ni- very, very nice uh, and very well received just open game area because they've never really had a good one in the past. And uh, so Zulkin is one that I got to play there with Lance. So that's that's how I finally got my play in, even though I have a copy here at the house. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's where the saturation factor comes into a little bit. Just the like your collection ends up growing and growing. You you can't play all those games. I guess you can still appreciate them and pull them out every once in a while, but there are only a certain number of games that you can actually play on a regular basis. Right. Well, other than your surprise guest and your game tonight, what is on the table for you guys for your group? Well, I think tonight we're just playing Euphoria. Yeah, I mean, I guess we might pull out a quick game afterwards if if we have time. If we we usually when we do a quick game, it'll it's uh, Seven Wonders, and I now own King of Tokyo, so that might be one of the quicker ones that we start to play every now and then. Yeah, that's that's definitely a decent quick game. Cyberbound yeah. for the win. <laughs> <laughs> just one of those fun lighter games. But well, we do like Seven Wonders here, and I think we're going to have six or seven people here tonight, so it, we might have to pull that one out. That was actually our uh, review last cast, Seven Wonders and the expansions. All the expansions. I need to listen to that then. Yeah, yeah all of them except for, uh, well, the only thing uh, we didn't play with was the new Wonder Pack. Uh, I think we talked about it briefly, but uh, we didn't actually play with it. But yeah, the uh, leaders and cities, we played with, with everything. Cool. And it had been a while since we played, so <laughs> so we had uh, icon overload. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of icons in that game. <laughs> you know, uh, since you got a little bit of time, I mean, uh, do you get in any other kind of gaming? I mean, are you a video gamer? Or are you uh, anything like that? No, I've, I've I've stayed away from the video games a certain amount because I know how much I will play them if I own any system. The one that I do play, I do play Magic online every now and then. Usually around the time of the the release, I'll play a couple drafts. That's pre- I think that's pretty much. I, I used to host a poker night every night for a long time, but that's most of the gaming I get in. What's your big go to for geek watching right now? Like TV or movie or? Right now, well, actually, well, I loved the Star Trek movie. I saw it on on Saturday. <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, what is that? Uh... Uh, I'm a star. What, what is that? What? We 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 try not to upset the Canadian here because <laughs> he he never stops. See, every every now and then I I am known to rant. Uh, <laughs> the expectation from a lot of people apparently after seeing it was that I was going to rant about this movie, but I have not. However, because we haven't recorded yet. <laughs> <laughs> However, the expectation is there, and there are going to be a lot of disappointed people. I have no ranting for this. I begged to differ. I heard you the other day. <laughs> what? That wasn't a rant. That was a well-thought-out, well no. well-spoken <laughs> criticism of one part of the movie. I rather enjoyed the movie up till that point. That's all I'm going to say. I actually have not seen it yet. I'm hopefully going to here soon. I'm, I'm really curious about your rant now. I, I wrote about it on my blog the other day, and I... <laughs> I actually was not a, a. I thought the first reboot one a couple of years ago was was decent, um, but it didn't. I think some people were saying it should be up for an Oscar, and that it just didn't grab me that way. But this one, do you know our friend Bob? <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I, I swear, I swear, my our friend Bob, he must have seen that thing six or seven times at least in the theater. Wow, the first one, I saw wow. it twice in the theater. The first time I was very disappointed because of. Oh. No. <laughs> Semi-rant. So close. I, I thought I was getting a Star Trek movie, but instead I was just getting an action movie in the Star Trek universe. I'm not keen on J.J. Abrams and his collective in general. Uh, 
this movie no, I no, thought not. <laughs> was far superior to the first one. I will agree with you on that. I, I like this one a lot better than the first one. I want to talk about it in detail, but I'm sure by the time you post this, people will still be watching the movie, so I don't want to spoil anything. Hey, fire me off an email if you'd like, or come back. Uh, we're debating doing a kind of a once-a-month movie review of the hot movies, so if we do... You know. Yeah, there's a there's another podcast I listen to, and I kind of like their idea. Basically, what they do is for uh, TV shows... Because what we, what we used to do, or what we our current plan and we've done in the past is we will do a 0.5 episode. Uh-huh. So if there's something that we're going to just go full blown spoiler on, we'll, we'll save it for a 0.5 episode. So we've done that with like the game of Thrones TV show. Uh, what else did we do? We did one other, the walking, walking dead. dead. Yeah. The walking First, dead show. No second season. Oh, okay. So we do that. But, uh, this, this other, uh, podcast that I listen to, which is BJ Shay's geek nation. I mentioned it last time. So I'm not like trying to, circumvent not talking about them i i thoroughly <laughs> enjoy it but what they do is uh for tv shows they wait a week so, uh-huh. so their audience full well knows that they're not going to really talk about it in any kind of detail for a week but when they do spoiler <laughs> right and then for uh movies they wait two weeks so we've been kind of debating back and forth what we're going to do uh something similar to that because there's a lot of times we do want to talk about stuff but we don't necessarily want to make it into a whole point five episode Right. That's fair. I like, I like that format. And that way people have a heads up. They know what they're getting into. Well, we're thinking about it. It'll, <laughs> it, it'll happen. <laughs> cool. But otherwise, if you need immediate gratification, yeah, fire, <laughs> fire me off a note and we'll, uh, I'll give you the, the typed rant. <laughs> I'd love to read the typed rant. <laughs> Which I, I got to say would probably be a calmer, gentler Jordan. No. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you can make it a calmer, gentler Jordan by putting, no. you know, <laughs> Because, doesn't matter whether I'm typing or uh, speaking. Once I go stream of consciousness, I, I'm telling no. you right now. As soon as I start giving you like the Scooby Doo voice or something like that, <laughs> it's gonna be the best thing ever. <laughs> you know what, Jamie? Let's bring it back to you for a second. Sure. <laughs> Anything in the works after Euphoria, or is that kind of just? I, I mean, I know that's your focus right now, but a couple ideas off to the side. Are you gonna take more of my money later? What's help me plan for Christmas here? Well, you for, we've targeted Euphoria to, to be out at Christmas, so that that'll that'll be the Christmas gift. But uh, yeah, I have a few ideas. I'm I'm always thinking of a, of a few ideas, and usually they don't get past maybe the first or second stage of development. But I have two that are getting close there. And my my business partner Alan, he is working on a game. This past year, he he has a, a family and a kid. I'm single, so I have a lot more time to focus on this stuff. He was. In school, and had a full-time job, and he has a family. Didn't really have time to focus on game design himself. But this summer, he finally has a lot of time. So he is designing a game that we're really excited about. Because, at least I'm excited about, because so far I've kind of been the lead designer on our two games. And so I'm really excited to be, I guess, the the support instead of the lead on, on his game. I think it's Prohibition-themed, but we're still we're still figuring out if that's the best theme for the game. Tommy guns and, you know, gin joints or, or something else? More of the focus on the gin joints. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. It's, it's still a work in progress for sure. But and what I've been kind of doing here is, uh, since we, we've got you and, uh, you, you say you've got the time as I've been kind of giving you your, your chance to basically be a part of the entire uh, <laughs> podcast here. So one of the other things we cover is, uh, got anything, uh, got, got any, uh, reading? going on right now anything uh you recommend to uh fellow geeks yeah well high recommendation 
I'm actually I'm in the middle of a short story anthology, a science fiction anthology that was on Kickstarter called Future Days. Kind of, I think it, it's uh, it's focused on young adult science fiction uh, and and dystopian fiction. So I, I was really drawn to that. It, it's it's pretty good. I I've been earmarking the best stories, and so far I think every other story is something I consider a great story. And actually, the I, I just posted a, a Euphoria update tonight that's open to the public, so anyone anyone watches this can go back and, and read update number five. And it talks about like in Euphoria, a lot of the markets and the recruits in the game, and the game throughout pays homage and and has references to dystopian literature and 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 movies. And the one uh, that I called out in the update today is actually an upcoming novel that's coming out this summer. That I had the pleasure of reading uh, one of the early copies of it, mm-hmm. and it, it's a dystopian novel. And, and one of the recruits in, in Euphoria has the name of one of the the types of characters in the game, the dietitians, who determine mm-hmm. like what people eat in in this dystopian world. So, um, if people look at the, the update number five on Euphoria, they'll see links to this upcoming trilogy, which is exciting to me that I can not only reference older works but also reference this newer work that that hasn't even come out yet that I'm excited about. What about you guys? What, what are you reading? Well, I'm just going to ask you, what is, the, what is the book that where the dietitians have now taken over the world? It's called the Seeds Trilogy, like seeds that you plant on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first book is called The Sowing. The idea behind the book is that the, the world goes through this uh, terrible famine. And uh, to get out of the, the famine... Some, uh, I, I think it's a corporation. It's not the government. I think it's a corporation. They they re-engineer, or they do a lot of re-engineering for food to make food more sustainable and to kind of. Well, I don't want to give too much away, but but it involves the the seeds that they that they engineer, and some people are for that and kind of in the blind about what that means for what they're putting into their bodies, and other people are really really against it. Well, out here in farm country, with ongoing conversations about companies mm-hmm. like Monsanto and DeKalb, that's pretty. Yeah, pretty good timing. <laughs> Monsanto is actually based here in St. Louis, so I think that might be what part of the uh, the impetus between behind them writing uh, writing this novel. Yeah. So what about you? What are you, what are you guys reading? I'm reading uh, X Heroes. I, I want to say it's Peter Klein. I meant to look that up. Klein's. Klein's. Yeah. Yeah. Peter Klein's. X Heroes is what I'm reading right now. I'm almost done with. I'm at the 90% mark, so I'm in the uh, final great battle or whatever, and see what's going to happen. But it's. Uh, it looks like it's going to be at least a trilogy. I do uh, have. I I did go ahead and grab the second book in the trilogy uh, for my Kindle. the The third one's not out yet, uh-huh. but it's basically The Walking Dead meets the Avengers slash JLA. It's uh, superheroes. What happens with the you know superheroes that uh, try to help the after the zombie apocalypse happens? So the the zombies are running around. They're trying to you know. Uh, Basically help build a community with the surviving normals that they found. Uh, plus there's the, you know, man, ver- man versus man thing with, there's a gang that, uh, that doesn't want to be part of their thing. They want to just control all, it all takes place in LA. So they want to control all of LA. And so they're their main antagonist. And some of the, they call them X's. That's where the X heroes comes from. They, they call zombies X's. And so some of the, Heroes, uh, you know, have also become zombies and what happens with them and how, oh. how can they still potentially use their powers and stuff like that. It's a very, what we've been, what we call a popcorn read, a very, you know, like almost like a summer action-y flick kind of deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a huge book. It's, it's a pretty light read. Overall, 
pretty enjoyable, and like I said, it was enough for me to go ahead and grab the second book, so I'll continue on. I think Walking Dead meets the Avengers might be the best pitch I've, I've ever heard for a book. <laughs> Did you come up with that? Is, that? is that on the book cover, the back cover? I think I read that on one of the reviews or one of the... Or actually, I think the, maybe the product description on Amazon or something like that. Well, the yeah. next time you're looking for comics, you should actually check out Marvel Zombies. Oh, I have. Okay. <laughs> Most of them. Not, not all of them, but the early one. The, 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 the first, first series ones, was yeah, good, yeah. But it's not quite the same. No, it's not. It's not. But, but it's there. Yeah. Oh, it is. I know. And I've been reading... Um, I saw a preview for the movie Ender's Game, so I figured uh-huh. I'd get a reread of that in before that comes out. I read that when I was a teen when it first came out. And now I've learned things about Orson Scott Card that I was not aware of <laughs> yeah, back yeah. then. So yeah. I'm just trying to decide whether some of that really came through in the work as it seems to be now. <laughs> but it's still pretty, I mean, setting that stuff aside, it's still a pretty good read. It's yeah, fast. That's, that's it, a whole nother conversation it is, we can have. <laughs> but it's fast and it, it's, uh, it's the kind of light sci-fi action-y stuff that I like and, <laughs> I'm famous for saying that I have a dislike for kids in, mo- in movies and books, but this so let, one. So let's read. But this one he does well. Uh, it, uh, well, not he, but it is done well in general. So I, I don't know if you've read it, but it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So there you go. So Ender, you know, he, he remains relatively sympathetic. I mean, I, I didn't particularly identify with him when I was a teen, but I, I was sympathetic because you know, I was still like, damn the man kind of a thing, you know, and. Right. So it, it it remains that way. So I'm still liking it as much as I did the first time. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask. I'm, I'm curious. Do you usually, when a movie is coming out from a book that you already read, do you usually reread the book, or do you? Is that what you usually do? Um, it depends on how much I liked the book the first time, and then uh-huh. how much I've heard. And the reason I'm rereading this is because they've said that the movie is going to be significantly different from the book. They haven't indicated okay. in which ways. And OSC has said he's not particularly broken up by the changes that he's aware of. But if it's something that I really liked, I just like to also be able to compare and contrast in my head. Sure. What about you, Jeff? Do you, do you usually reread the book? Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, there are certain, uh, there, there was, I don't know. I, I'm trying, I don't reread stuff th- these days as often. I did reread all of the uh, Song of Ice and Fire books mm-hmm. just because it had been so long since I read them since the last one had come out. <laughs> right. I reread those, and of course, obviously, the the show was going on at the time. But no, I, I a lot of times I, I may not even have originally read the book. I, I may just go see the movie. I may check the book out later yeah. kind of thing. But there's very, very little that I'll reread. It used to be that I used to try to make a point to reread, like, handful of books once a year or something like that but now with i've got such a backlog on my kindle right now that i just right. kind of try to plow through yeah and then every once in a while like if you'll hear a couple of our uh, back episodes here i get into a non-reading funk where i just don't like me and words don't get along <laughs> <laughs> so i'll take i'll take like a month or off or something like that every once in a while oh, okay nice I have a question from somebody uh, over on the Game Crafter, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was, uh, he goes by Mr. Alex, and I we were messing around, and all of a sudden he came out with a serious question, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to add I'm gonna add that. Yeah. Do you think the increasing number of games released is a good thing or a bad thing? 
Does it benefit diversity or make it harder to find the gems? Has the role of a reviewer become more important due to their ability to separate the wheat from the chaff in a public manner? That's a great multi-part question. Do you want to answer that first and then then I'll chime in? I think Kickstarter uh, or things like Kickstarter and, of course, the Game Crafter one, it's giving uh, a lot more options. Definitely, and and there's a lot of games that, for whatever reason, uh, various publishers won't either touch or at the time it's not something they're looking for or they're just not sure because no matter how big we think a lot of these companies are, <laughs> money's money, and and they're not they're not as huge as as most people think some of them are. Right. So they do have to be a little choosy at times. So I think it, I think it's great. Uh, it, it's been great. Uh, to have the extra options, I do think right now it is starting to come a little fast and furious, and we're also seeing the bigger players start to hit Kickstarter and stuff as well, uh, which mm-hmm. I understand from a business perspective. But it, there is a, you know, who who gets what funds, you know, who who gets who gets the money out of my wallet kind of thing going on. Right. So I I don't know if it's going to be harder to find gems. I think it's going to be harder to decide what you want to put your money towards. And in that aspect, then yeah, I do think sometimes the reviewers are, are helping a bit because kinda of, I've been I've been helping out a lot or, or giving a lot of feedback for basically what I consider Kickstarter one oh one. Uh uh-huh. which is, you know, how your video plays, how your page looks, how your pledge levels look, and are you using the your reviews and, and reviews properly. And right. I do think that the Kickstarter 101 stuff that I'm talking about is something that your average person running through Kickstarter does kind of go through. Uh, you've, you've got to grab them with your video. You got to have information up front real quick for them. And then you probably do need, especially if, if you are newer and maybe you've caught their interest, but they're just not quite there. There are a few names in the industry that, that are trusted and, uh, it never is going to hurt to have them, uh, take a look at your game. I don't think. Right, right. Jordan, you got any opinion on the? Well, as somebody that always used to rip on either Cisco or Ebert, and I can't, well, obviously I can't do that now, yeah. but. <laughs> Too soon, Jordan. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't mean it that soon. way. I didn't mean it that way. I have joined the fold, so now <laughs> I, I hope people don't rip on me. But I, I keep in the back of my mind that reviewing whatever the, whatever the thing, you know, you're reviewing movies, music, games. It's totally subjective, and a reviewer only impacts positively those people that tend to agree with them in a general sense anyways. Jeff and I look <laughs> at different things when we're looking at a game. So, I mean, I've had people tell me, well, I agree with you more often than I agree with Jeff. Well, okay, I appreciate that. that this this I, is I, not the place to bring that up. I, I know that's that, a private fight. I know there's at least one person <laughs> that likes what I say. So, you know, I, I, reviewers, I think they, they bring something to the table, but it's only as much as you tend to agree with somebody in the first place, I think. Yeah, that's true. But then that's the person if they, again, that's the person you're going to continue to go to. Well, yeah. And if they have an opinion and it's like, well, I don't like this game and this is why. And you're going, yeah, that's usually the things I don't like either. Yeah, but there are a lot of different opinions out there. True. You're, you're going to go with the person you agree with. And hopefully the person you agree with has a sufficient following that the person coming to you for the review is going to get, you know, enough good press out of it to make it worth their while. 
All right, Jamie, weigh in. And that applies to movies, too, I would say. Like, I don't know, like you mentioned Siskel and Ebert, but I definitely kind of keep an eye out for reviews from movie reviews for, from certain reviewers because I know that we have similar tastes and I respect their point of view. I think I've come to do the same with board games. What do you think overall? The uh, the saturation in the reviewer uh, reviewer's role in the saturation? Well, yeah. Well, the reviewer part is the easy one for me. I would say definitely I go to reviewers more and more. And if a Kickstarter campaign or any new game coming out does not have – like I'll wait until I – I watch or read at least one or two reviews usually to fully back a game on Kickstarter. And even like with games like Sulkin, have you guys played Sulkin yet? I have. It's ex- That's the exact kind of game that's up my alley. And I knew that from the minute that I saw it, but I still, I guess maybe I'm just a little frugal still. And so I, I, it was, it wasn't until I reached a tipping point of reading enough positive reviews about it that I was finally like, okay, yes, that's, that's a game I want. So sometimes I think it takes a little repetition of more than one person that you trust uh, giving that approval. But in terms of saturation, that one's a little harder to answer because I think two weeks ago before Euphoria came out, it was something like 26 game projects launched on Kickstarter on the same day. And I don't want to say it was disheartening. I guess I worried a little bit about what would happen with Euphoria when that happened. Overall, I think capitalism will will win out. I think the great games will emerge from the massive games put on Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And perhaps some of the games that aren't as good yet will get some good feedback and will end up being great games. But it is a little daunting because, I mean, there are already thousands of great games out there that exist. I guess I just hope that it leads to innovation in gaming instead of just instead of more of the same. And I think it lends itself to... As a consumer, you really need to do your research. Then, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff out there. But uh, one example I, I will throw out is, you know, you're talking about how many things launched the same day you did. I think there were a lot of projects that got stalled because they had launched or were still going on when Zombie Side Season Two launched. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's I true. I mean, there was just this huge all of a sudden slowdown everywhere else because a lot of funds were trickling up to Zombie Side Season Two. We talked about the same thing with uh, Kingdom Death Monster right at the end of last year as well. Yeah. That yeah. just blew up, and there was a, a hush around Kickstarter and on the mini <laughs> games as that just blew up. Right. It's a great tool, and it's it's been uh, very successful for a lot of different people, obviously. But it's getting used more and more, and, and you know, some people have built their entire company around it and still continue to use it. Some of the bigger names are starting to come on over and use it, and there are games that have significant followings that you just, you know, you got to roll a dice, and if it just happens to be uh, they pop out when you pop out, you're either may not get as many funds as you want, or there may be a relaunch in your future. Right. I do want to say, I mean, and luckily you haven't had to deal with it because <laughs> you've had two very successful campaigns so far. But for anybody else listening, I, I've talked to a few people. Uh, we've had a few interviews before, but a relaunch is not a bad thing. Oh, yeah. I think designers and and, and stuff need to understand that a relaunch is not a bad thing if you've learned something along the way and share it when you relaunch. <laughs> That's well said. I think that second that second clause is key. You can't just keep relaunching something without learning or engaging the existing backers. Because they, even if you have to cancel your project or if it fails, 
you can still communicate. You can still send out updates on the on the closed or failed project. It's up there in Kickstarter forever. So mm-hmm. you can continue to engage those backers that believed you in your project in the first place. Well, guys, I, uh, I I probably need to go set up the game for people arriving in about 15 minutes. Um, All right. But I really appreciate you having me. This, this is a lot of fun. No, thanks for coming on. And uh, one more time, Euphoria is on Kickstarter right now. I look forward to playing a game with the Cafeteria of Nameless Meat. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yours truly is a backer. I do re- highly recommend going and checking this out. And, Jamie, we're also going to make sure in the, in the show notes we put your website as well, because I think some of our listeners can get some really good information out of there. Uh, like I said, especially your uh, lessons uh, from running Kickstarter campaigns. So again, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you both. I really appreciate it. All right. Talk thanks. to you soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Bye. Say, how about some game reviews? Oh, we have to. All right, we're going to review a couple games today. Uh, we're going to uh, look at uh, actually two games from the Game Crafter that was sent to us. So we're going to look at Bit Shift from Wolfpack Studios, and we're going to look at Zerpang from Whirling Derby Games. So starting with Bit Shift. This is a, a very simple setup game. There is a player mat. Both players share. Top row, bottom row. The row facing you is the row you are trying to control, and it's a row of ones and a row of zeros. Bit shift. It is a little bit binary in its setup. This is kind of uh, an old school computer game or a, an old school game on the computer. Uh, it's very much set up to look like a dummy terminal, an old green screen kind of a thing. You have a hand of five cards. On these cards, you were either the one or the zero. And that is your and there is a sequence of that's how you orient orient your yes. card. Yeah. Whatever you are is at the bottom. So it's a series of 10 numbers, ones and zeros. And on the board uh, is a row of 10 zeros and a row of 10 ones and 10 chips. This is the bit shift. On your turn, you have a variety of ways to move those chips around. You yeah. can swap two, you can shift everything to the left or right, and you can shift everything up or down. And you are trying to create the sequence on your card. One of the sequences on your five cards. Or just cards, move one. Or just move one, yes. Mm-hmm. And you're trying to create the sequence on your card on the play map. If you get to do that, you score that card immediately. And you pick one of those actions on your turn. Yes. You, you only get to do one thing, and then it's the next person's turn. But you always score immediately. no matter what. Yeah. Like, no matter whose turn it is. Yeah. If your opponent shifts a bit into a score for you you score your card off turn and you can't undo what your opponent did so if they shifted one down you can't go well, i'm gonna shift that back up correct you can do something that will nullify it but it has to be part of a different action so okay. you shift something from zero to one i can go there and then swap two or i can shift everything up or i should say to the left or the right that kind of thing but you can't just undo the exact same move the cards are, uh, the, well, the color palette is green and black. So that's why I said it's, it's the old green screen. That's what it reminds me of. It's visually, uh, the cards are not appealing to me. And, but you have five of them. You start with five. Each time you score, you re, uh, you drop again to five. Uh, gameplay proceeds until one person has scored eight, uh, eight points. Yeah. For two players, it's, it's eight cards. 
and uh, goes down because this plays one to four players. So I think it's oh, I eight, thought eight, eight was the the full. No, it's no eight six four or something like oh, okay. that. Okay, depending on the number of players, how many cards you have to score. All right, that's good to know. Uh, as Jeff said, you take one action. You have a variety of actions, as I detailed, but you take one action and play proceeds clockwise. Unless it's two, then it's just across the table. And uh, each player moves their chip or everything uh, or a combination of two, trying to get their binary to match what they have on their card. Yep. The only uh, the one action we didn't talk about because we never took it was you can do a reset, which is basically discard your hand and draw five new cards. Yeah. If you want to, if you're just really not feeling what the bits are in front of you, I guess. Yeah. It's fairly straightforward. Um, there are a limited number of actions, and they all just involve moving the chips. And all you were trying to do is get that display to match your card. So one to four players, like I said, says it clocks in anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes. I'm guessing by number of players, uh, time would go up. That's about really the, the gist of the main stuff, right? So yep. we can kind of go into All right, so let's go ahead and go to components. The components are fine for what it is. Uh, you know, you get your, your wooden tokens to cover, uh, the bits or to turn them on and off or, you know, flip, flip the bit and all that good stuff. Uh, you get cards, uh, and you get a little, or, uh, uh, actually not a little, it's called the large, I believe the, the large square play mat from Game Crafter. All of it's fine. I mean, you know, obviously it's, it's, uh, it's not a, chipboard or anything like that but i think jordan alluded onto onto it a little bit during the the description and that is visually some of the stuff doesn't work for me the idea the concept kind of appeals i get the i get what's going on you know and, and i think both jordan and i still work with mainframes all the time so we have terminal sessions up all the time so we we kind of look at this similar style all the time anyway but visually especially even for like a more casual player this is this it, it it's distracting yeah for instance like uh, whether you're whether you're on the uh, one or the zero side with the card turned so that that's what you're doing i know i found because you're going through the cards to see if you scored it and they're Almost on top of each other. I mean, well, they are. It's 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 like one carriage return away. Mm-hmm. So my eye always shifted up when I got there to the side I was on. So it's like I'm going one zero one zero one zero, and and it, let's say it was a zero, but I'm playing the one side. My eyes would go up to the one, so that wasn't real appealing. And the back of the cards and the and the front of the cards have the same pattern. So there were a couple times I almost mix them up together for a shuffle and whatnot because they're, I mean, it's the same font. It's the same everything across the board. There's no distinguishing real well at a quick glance front to back. I mean, you know, the back does say just the name, the title of the game and the, 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 the backs or the fronts are, you know, ones and zeros and all that stuff. But I mean, if you're just a quick look and, and you got your hand over part of the deck, all you're seeing is the green. Mm-hmm. I agree with that point a lot. Um, com- Component wise, as far as what they are, they're solid. The cards are fine. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's the standard stuff that you get from the game crafter. Uh, never had a problem with most of the quality of the components. The art direction 
I had a little bit of an issue with, I guess. Well, there was none. Right. I mean, but it, it you, again, you, you get what he was going for. Oh, yeah. I just I, don't I understand. Think, I get it. Yeah, it just, just, it, it doesn't work. I mean, uh, put a border on the mat or something or around the cards. Space your, your one and your zero on your card. Your, your side, I mean, not right. the, you know, some mm-hmm. graphic design could have been, a, I think, a lot better. All right. So, uh, mechanics. Pretty straightforward mechanics, really. I mean, uh, you know, th- once you get used to it, and well, there's nothing to really get used to. I think, uh, it's just the, the whole different actions you can take are fine. They make sense. Mm-hmm. Everything's laid out on the board. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's right on both sides. So yes. depend, no matter how, what side you're looking at it, you, you know what your options are. So that was nice. That, that's a plus. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no question. I mean, these are your actions. That That is all very straightforward. How to score your card, very straightforward. I think the one thing that we both talked about was just the fact that, and with the visual portion of the component, the cards, the fact that every move, especially if it was five a, cards. Yeah, especially if it was a grand move. Yeah. Like a, a total XOR, which is the the basically reversing what everything is. Or, you know, or the shift. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta check through five cards. And again, it's like, okay, one, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero. Well, where's my eye going? And, um, it makes sense on the board what you're doing where you're, you're moving the, the chips over the one or the zero to block one out and make the other one. But even that too, it's not as simple as it sounds to check the card against what's going on. Cause you're kind of on the board, you're kind of, you know, your eyeballs are bouncing. Because the ones are up above, and it's like, okay, what's the ones are one? And then on your card, you're trying to follow it. And then, like I said, you hit that snag where you kind of look up. And I think there's more time spent trying to figure out if you've scored anything than actually actual playing gameplay. the game. Yeah. You and I talked a bit, and we kind of come to the consensus that we could probably deal with that if there were a lot less cards. Yeah. I think that was one thing. I mean, if you're talking two. <laughs> Three tops. Uh, yeah, to check because um, you're not really going to be trying to build all five cards. So yeah. having all five cards at the same time, not really a benefit. Yeah. I mean, there's no negative to it because I ended up just trying to... I had a couple cards clumped together because they had a similar string, and I was just working towards hopefully positioning you to complete either one, you know, kind of a yeah. thing. But five, I, I never looked at more than one or two. So this, that would be an easy house rule just to, a, since you draw a card every time you score, uh, it's just an easy house rule to have a two hand deck, uh, a, a two card hand and yeah. draw when you score anyway. One of the things I think was kind of nice was the potential for the screw you, the screw your neighbor, which, you know, see, look at that. I made him <laughs> smile. <laughs> uh, cause I mean, there was, uh, uh, several times where it was just like, Oh, you dick. Because, especially on me, if I just wasn't anywhere close, I had no problem doing the XOR, reversing everything or shifting one way. Or, But so. then you punish yourself because then you have to check all five cards yeah, to see what yeah, you've done. True. <laughs> so that aspect works well for us, I guess. The, the kind of, we like a little bit of that sometimes in our, in our games. And, and anything that makes us basically call each other a, a dick works in our book. How are we friends? <laughs> <laughs> Rules. There's not a lot to, so like to learn. 
Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's not a lot to learn in this game. There's not a lot to question. There was no like, oh my god, let me look back at the rules. It's very straightforward. I mean, you, you kind of want, other than looking into how many cards do I need to score to win and what's the end condition, everything you need is on the sheet, on mm-hmm. the board. So rules, I, rules are very well done. And again, for what the game is and, and whatnot, it's, it's sufficient. It does what it's supposed to do. It, I looked at it, got, understood what I needed to do, understood how to set up the game. Oh, that's one thing going back to mechanics. That is kind of nice is the, uh, the setup is somewhat modular just because you flip a card and that's the starting position and nobody's got that card. So, yeah, uh, nobody's going to score. So that's kind of cool. It's not always going to be in the same position every time. So then, yeah, rules were good. I think. Rules were solid on this one. Mm-hmm. Teachability, same thing. Very solid. You don't need to be a programmer, even though it, it's kind of, you know, doing the you know, the ones and zeros. It's easy to learn. It's all on the board. So once you just understand, and again, it, you can explain it to somebody, and then it's written out for them, too. A, a, a quick, you know, one sentence, this is what this option does. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's visuals in the rule book, if you really need them. So... Teachability, no brainer. This was easy, simple, easy. I mean, we we're up and running in minutes, minutes tops. Theme. It's the inside of a computer. You're just watching the electrons flow. <laughs> to paraphrase hackers, you know, it's not a bad theme, I suppose, but I guess I'd like to know from the creator what his target market was or is for this game. You know, it's you're manually flipping switches. You know, mm-hmm. this is from your punch card all the way up to, you know, your smartphone, which, you know, this is you're just manually flipping the switches of all the <laughs> stuff that your computer does. The the silly part of my brain after we played said, I want to take all these cards and put them into a binary converter and just see <laughs> if we're actually spelling strange words or or what numbers are really coming out, you know. But, you know, thematically, it's uh, this... I guess is geared towards a certain age or uh, not a certain age, but a certain class of IT person, somebody that's worked with a bit of programming, somebody that would maybe get a chuckle out of moving the bits back and forth. Yeah. I mean, the, the theme I'd of- like to know if the dude is an IT guy. <laughs> Cause this is pretty arcane. This is pretty, this is not something I would expect to just pop up and say, <laughs> you know, from an artist, Hey, I've had this great idea, you know, yeah. It was it was kind of okay at first. The novelty wears off as I don't know. And and again, I think we t- we t- we're not big. One, we're not big memory people. We've talked about that in, the, in uh, other uh, last stuff. week. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in video form, but where I don't think we also I don't, I don't know I don't know if we do you feel that we really do I I don't think I do real well with the whole spatial. It's it's not so much a spatial. It's. At five cards, I like you said, I kind of felt obligated to try to remember all five yeah. for the first couple yeah, minutes. Yeah. And then I was like, nah, forget that. <laughs> I don't know that it was deliberately designed to have a memory component. I mean, I yeah. think you'd have to be Sheldon at that point <laughs> to to have that kind of memory component. But no, it's uh it just kind of sat in the back of my head, like, is he expecting me to have five sequences memorized. Yeah, and well, and that's the thing too. It, it, I wouldn't necessarily call it analysis paralysis, but it's the whole okay, trying to the, the visual component I'm talking about is like okay, so if I shift, 
oh, this is going to be this and this and this and this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, kind of yeah. go go through and then okay, well if I reverse it, oh, it's going to look this and this and this. Yeah, this. it's not AP. Yeah. It's just A. It's yeah. you, you have to analyze every you know yeah. the full extent of your and move. Depending on the night, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I the theme for what it is, it it's okay. It works with the game. I don't necessarily think it's it's not awesome or anything, but it's it's a nice novelty kind of thing for those, like you said, those of us in IT. I mean, kind of looked at it. So now we're going on to fun factor. I don't know. I just, it was, again, it was okay. As it comes out of the box, you know, without house ruling down to a smaller hand mm-hmm. or, you know, unless they reprint something to make the colors a little bit less yeah. mono. Yes. This, this is a low fun factor for me. I mean, it's not a bad game. Mm-hmm. I, cause, you know, from a componentry side and from a design side, everything works well. It's simple. It does what it says it's going to do out of the box and the rules you only need to read once. So it's a well designed game, but gameplay, especially having to look at all that black and green all the time. Yeah. It, this is a low fun factor. Again, not a bad game. It's just not something that I, I particularly have a desire to add to my collection. Yeah, I gotta agree. I mean, it's, I keep coming back to, I get it. And I think the cons, I think there's, there's pieces of the concept that I like. I don't know. And it, it, yeah, a lot of it just keeps boiling back to hand size and the visuals mm-hmm. just ruin a lot of it for me. I kind of said, I see some elements of like wrong chemistry in here. Yeah. You mentioned that, but wrong chemistry has to me a better set of visuals to it. Now I'm, we still need to get to a point where we play and decide well, how we feel about wrong chemistry. And maybe we end up finding out that this is just not our type of game. That, that could be too. But visually, I mean, just because, I mean, you're doing, you're dealing with one, well, the, the hexes are brighter colors and you've got the, the pieces coming off and on. And then there's the potential for resetting and all that good stuff. It has elements of that same thing though that you're trying to do. You're trying to, ma- you're trying to manipulate the board, uh, to look like your element, uh, so you can score it. And that I can see is more visually pleasing. Yeah. This, like you said, this all comes back to the graphic design for me. And there's just so many things they could have, just simple things that they could have done to make it a nicer looking card. And then for me, a more enjoyable experience. You know, the back of the card, sure, that's that's the game colors, and it, it just says bit shift. So, yeah, have that be the green screen. Yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But the card that I actually have to stare at to, to try to make sure I'm scoring, that could have been laid out and colored a yeah. lot better. Like we talked about, there there's a reason why dumb terminals aren't, <laughs> aren't widely used anymore. Um, there's a reason why on my terminal session I can change That's right. what it looks like. Teal, man. Teal. <laughs> yeah, so just to kind of wrap up, uh, not a horrible game by any means. I, I, and it, sometimes it may kind of sound like that from us. Solid design, solid concept, well done rules, but in the end it came down to, for us anyway, Hand size and trying to go, trying to constantly see if you're scoring five cards every time a piece is moved and visuals. Uh, the visuals don't, the visuals just bring the game down a bit, I think. Mm-hmm. 
Now we're going to talk about Zerpang from Whirling Derby Games. And what does Zerpang mean? Zerpang is zombies, elves, robots, pirates, aliens, ninjas, and gunslingers. Yeah, you thought I wasn't going to have that. Yeah, one, yeah. All right. I said yeah, correct. That's right. Uh, Zerpang, let's just start with, uh, it's two to six players and 60 to 90 minutes. Comes in a standard and a deluxe version on the Game Crafter. We played the standard version. Basically, for Zerpang, which obviously stands for all these different races that you can play, uh, which is cool. Right off the board, right there. Gotta love it. <laughs> so you pick, you pick the class you're going to be in. Again, this plays two to six players. We never got to play it more than just the two of us. But almost every time we played it, we kind of said we'd love to play it with more people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but what you do is you pick, you pick your race. Now, by the rules, somebody has to be either a ninja or pirate. There can be multiple ninjas and multiple pirates, but there has to be at least one of those in the game. Go so for, ninja, go ninja, yeah. go ninja, go. So right off the bat for a two-player game, a little bit limited right there because somebody has, somebody has to be one of these two. On your race, uh, you get a race card, and it has your win condition. So every race has a different win condition. And it has any special abilities that your race has. Basically variable powers. And then, uh, you get, you pick a color. So it's just, uh, generic pawns of a color. And you get a little stand of that color to put your race card in to show that's your color and whatnot. And it also kind of works to stand your card up. So, and it's, your opponent can basically look on the back side is all the uh, abilities. So you'll be reading that. And then on the front side, that you face out towards your opponent shows kind of your win condition. And then you basically get these six pawns and you... Unless you cheat. I didn't cheat. It's not my fault. They sent an extra one and that just happened to be the color I picked. Yeah, just that one game. Let it go. I took it off the board. (laughs) And then you have a a starting spot so that you it's kind of like your home base. You put all six of your your, uh, guys there. What you're going to be able to do on your turn is uh, deploy, deploy, which is optional, mm-hmm. which basically means you're taking one of your pieces out of home base and putting it onto the main board uh, in one of two start gate spots. In order to be able to deploy, one of those spots has to be free, so you can't have a, a piece already there, and you have to pay a cost. If you have no other pieces on the board, the first one you put out is free. And then every other piece that you try to bring out after that, basically you pay points from cards that you'll have. And the points you have to pay is by how many pieces you have out. So if I've got one piece out, the next piece I bring out costs me one point. Uh, all the way up to I bring my last, my sixth piece out. I've got five pieces on the board. I will pay five points to bring that piece out. How many cards? Four. We start with four cards. Yeah. So you'll start with four cards in your hand. And we'll talk about the cards in a minute because they have some potential other effects as well. But they're basically the points you'll use. And we'll be using them even more here in a second. So at max, you can deploy two pieces because you'll never have more than your two open gate spots. Uh, once you deploy, then you can move. Move is optional as well. Move is kind of interesting because it's not. It's basically you move one piece. So you pick a piece that you have on the board and decide to move it. You can move it as far as you can afford to move it. So 
Uh, you can move one spot for free, and then every additional spot will cost you a point. Makes me wonder if the dude that designed this was like a drug dealer. It's always like, <laughs> yeah. first, first move's free. First one's free. <laughs> <laughs> so you can move as much as you can afford to move, mm-hmm. basically. So however many points that you're willing to spend, uh, you can use. Now, you can never break up points. So if you overpay for something, say, in deployment, your points don't carry over to your move. The card is like spent once kind of deal. So you move, and then you check to see if the combat is going to happen. Combat is the only thing that's not optional. Right. If you're beside somebody, you're fighting! Fighting! And combat is basically um, you get a point to your combat rating per piece that you have touching uh, yes. on your side. So if three of my my pieces are adjacent, I start with a combat rating of three. If Jordan has two, if I hit on a spot where Jordan has two pieces adjacent, his, his combat rating start is two. That can change a little bit is if you connect back to one of your starting spots, you basically connect back to your home base, you get a plus five on top, attacking or defending. Mm-hmm. And then from there, basically whoever's behind needs to play points. So you can, you can go back and forth and play points to increase your combat rating and some cards have special abilities. And we'll, again, we'll talk about that in a bit. So if you're able to use those, maybe some of those will help you as well. So, you know, like I said, if I'm at three, Jordan's at two, he decides, you know what, I, I'll, I'll play a point and bring it to three because, uh, aggressor has to be greater. Ty goes to the defender. Yeah. Ty goes to the defender. So, and it's just a bunch of back and forth to either you run out of cards or you don't want to play any more cards. And then whoever has the greatest combat rating wins the combat. Loser generally goes back to their starting base. So they come off the board and you have to repay to bring them out. It's worth noting that having all your pieces off the board is not an end condition. Yes. Your victory condition is what's on the card. If through some strange set of circumstances, all six of your tokens are removed from the board in one turn, you still just... Start building again the your next ne- turn. Your next one coming out is free. Yep. First one's free. <laughs> After combat, you basically draw. And you're going to draw, you get one card, and then you can get additional cards if you have some of your pieces in what they call like a resource area. There's multiple resource areas around the board. Uh, and you get a card for each resource area you have a pawn in. So you can't have all of your pawns in one because that'll just get you that one card. But if you want multiple cards, then you 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 got to spread out your piece. And they are spread out. They're not, like, right next to each other. Yeah, you can't clump. Yeah. And then that's basically a turn. Mm-hmm. You know, pass, and, and uh, the next person will go. And, again, so things like, uh, so win conditions. What what could win conditions be? Well, uh, what was it? Uh, Pirates had three pieces in the middle. Or for a two-player game, three all of the six. treasure tokens. Three of the treasure, yeah, the cent, uh, the center treasure spots. Yep. Uh, in a two-player game, had to be all six. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ninjas have to control each of the great houses. The houses, yeah, which are just these color-coded spots on the outer end of the. It, it's kind of almost like an arena-style mat. It's very much like a, to my mind, anyways. It's not an accurate description, but it reminds me of a Chinese checkers board. Yeah, a bit. Yep. And then gunslingers had to have like a straight line across yep, the board. You had to go like straight couple, across, a yeah. straight line from a great house 
to the treasures and then the great house in a straight line across. Aliens have, have to, to abduct poor people. I think it yeah. was zombies have, have to, to infect, infect people. Yeah. So, you know, everybody's got these different wind conditions, uh, which gets kind of interesting when you're mixing and matching. Unless you're an elf. Unless you're an elf. Um, which we'll talk about later. Elves basically don't do anything. And if the game goes greater than three hours, they win. Okay. Worst teaching mechanic ever. Well, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and that's basically how you play. Oh, so, so the cards. So we come back to that. Most of them, again, the, the majority of the time you're going to use them for points. Some cards have a, uh, or a dual special ability on them and, Generally, therefore, ninjas or pirates. So one side will be ninja and one side will be pirate. Whoever's playing a ninja or pirate has to use their respective side. So even if the points are, let's say I'm a ninja and the points are greater on the pirate side, uh, I still can only use the points on the ninja side. But then there's also a special ability. So maybe instead of using the points, I use the special ability. And those are things, various things. Like again, I talked about during combat, uh, there's one, it's, it's a one point card. So normally that would only be one point to your combat rating. But the special ability for the ninja is it gives plus three to the combat rating. Uh, things like, uh, there's cards that allow you to move an extra piece. Uh, Deploy a piece for free. Deploy a piece for free. Um, yeah. Prevent people from using drawing special cards. cards. Yep. Prevent yeah. stealing people's draws. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all kinds of different special abilities. And some of the other races, well, Gunslinger. Gunslinger. Could use it. Gunslinger, you can use it, but you have Gunslinger. to have a pair. Yeah. Everything for the Gunslinger, of course, since you're a, a two gun shooter, you have to do everything in pairs. So if I want to play wind of gata to get extra movement i have to have two wind of gata cards uh so everything the gunslinger has to play has to be in pairs but they also have a nice mechanic of if they play three of a kind uh in combat for instance three ones you double your total so three ones goes to six if you happen to be awesome like i was and lay down three fours that goes to 24 and that's a really hard number to beat in combat. <laughs> yeah. So some of the other races may be able to use those special abilities, but generally, therefore, either the ninjas or the pirates. Mm -hmm. That's where the cards come in, and then that's and that's where it may be important to get your draw to maybe branch out your pieces to get to be able to draw more cards. Again, your only guarantee, if nobody plays a special card that takes it away from you, is. Your one. one draw. So one card a turn. You know, and if you're spending them to move and to put pieces out and combat, uh, that's pretty limiting to have, just have one card in your hand. You're not going to be able to do very much. Well, that's it. You rinse and repeat each round. Um, you know, you're going for your victory condition. You're also mm -hmm. trying to prevent your opponent's victory condition. So right. it's a nice balance there. You know, you're working for yourself and working to prevent. And everybody has the same three steps, deploy, move, combat. Unless you ended up like Jeff did with a hand of 40. Oh, that's the thing to uh, point out. There's no hand limit. Um, unless. So, unless you're a gunslinger and then you have to do math. But um, for all the other races, there's no hand limit. So if you're sitting on your resource tokens, and this is valid strategy, you just sit on your resource tokens for two or three turns and get, I mean, in a two-player game, this will happen. In a multiplayer game, 
it seems unlikely that'll happen. But as we were just doing this too, you could sit on those and just get four or five cards a turn until you have a huge hand. So unless you have a huge hand, your choices are generally fairly limited. And unless you have, unless you have a huge hand, you're not, the gunslinger is going to piss you off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause when I throw down 24 points, you're not coming back from that. Uh, so yeah, there's no hand size. So your options are generally well manageable. And so you move, you deploy, you fight. If you're not next to somebody, you don't even fight. Right. And it's just rinse and repeat until somebody meets all their victory conditions. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go into it. Components. What'd you think? For what you need to do on the mat, it's, it's pretty good. It's tokens similar to what you find in store, uh, sorry, sorry, or any, <laughs> you know, those story. simple, um, you know, move upon type of games. Um, the zombies come with little rubber rings to denote who's infected. So that's good. The board is, well, we had the basic board, right? Right. The same, it's, it's a, the same large play mat. Yeah. That, it, it's that the standard game shift. crafter. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the, uh, the deluxe version, if I remember right, has the quad fold board and upgraded pawns. If I remember right. For, for what this game is, there's no negative to having the basic board versus the quad fold. Uh, it fits nicely. Everything, more space is just more space. There's no need for dice in this game. The card stock is very good. Again, it's standard game crafter card stock. So it's good stuff. It's not overly thick. It's, Got a decent amount of gloss on it. Uh, the graphic design is nice. The point, the basic point cards have the symbol of each of the races on them. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Uh, actually. and then That's the, nice. the special powers are nice and divided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, what the ninjas are like, uh, copper and the pirates are red or something. Uh, red blue, and blue, I should say. Yeah, red and blue. Yeah. So, I mean, the components are very well done. It's a nice color scheme here. Easy, easy to tell, easy to read. So, you know, if you got to flip. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, components pretty well done. Mechanics. Mechanically, it's sound. There's limited number of options, so there's no real need to memorize a huge rule book or a huge list of things you can do on your turn. And with each action that you can take, there's again uh, a limited number of options, and that's limited essentially by your hand size. So, I mean, you were in a position where you could move across the board in one turn if you really wanted to. <laughs> Both because of and your special power. Yeah. Both because of your special power and that you had like 800 guards in your hand. So you could just spend the points to move 24 spaces if you really wanted to. So no, mechanically, it, uh, it's well designed. Everything works well together in each phase. Yeah. I, I like it. I don't think it's necessarily geared real well to two players, except for maybe the ninja and pirate. That, that was a pretty solid, I think, game between us. Otherwise, sometimes we come and got into some weird combinations where at two players, the gunslinger seems nigh undefeatable. Yeah. Uh, well, no, that's not true. Sure, I think but... they have the hardest win condition, mm-hmm. but they have the easiest time just defeating their, preventing their opponent from winning. Yeah. The gunslinger, I think at two player game will always be a draw. It's been the whole, uh, every time we played it, we, we always, thought this would be awesome to get another person in. And that this guy, is definitely a, a game that game. shines at, uh, I, I would say five would be the sweet spot. I think six, even though you can go there, then you're kind of maybe setting up like three on three. There's yeah. going to be a bit of partisanship there. But I think this is definitely an odd number game, three yeah. or five. Which we should touch on too, like during combat and stuff, you can basically do many alliances, which basically boils down to helping out in combat. 
Yeah, it's not really an alliance like, you know, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. It's just right. in combat, you can force your help on somebody. Well, not not force, because they can refuse, remember? Well, yes, but <laughs> but it, I mean, it's not you. It, it's not bilateral, right? It's it's basically just hey, here I can play a plus two for you in combat. Yeah, sure, I mean, I'll take that. You're gonna hope he's gonna get your back the next turn, but yeah. if you're working to defeat, but they can do special ability cards too. Yeah, it doesn't have to just be, but it's basically only during the combat phase. I mean, they can't like give you the here draw extra cards mm-hmm. during the yeah, draw Yeah, it's phase just combat. Oh, that's yeah, that's a good point. Many of the special power cards have uh specific phases they can be played in. You can't go through your movement phase into combat and then play a movement effect card to get, you know, something. Right. Which you... I would have loved. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so would I. <laughs> there are cards that can only be played in movement or only in combat or only in deploy. There are some cards that can be played at any time and some, you know, so you've got your move, your phases technically are your deploy, move, combat, and draw, which mm-hmm. I don't think we covered because there's, uh, yeah, we did. We did? Okay. So anyways, we'll go over again then. That's where you draw your <laughs> cards at the end of everything else. And there's cards that can be played only in those phases mm-hmm. and then a few that can be played at any time. We kind of talked a bit about mechanics. And again, it's, uh, you've got the variable powers. Um, you've got, uh, uh, multiple win conditions or varying win conditions depending on the race. It all works pretty solid, like we said. Uh, the one thing, and this might be a little bit into either our overall or our fun factor, but the one thing I think it was kind of cool about this game, we, and we both kind of said it after playing it or like coming back a, a day after playing it or whatever, any game that makes you think about how you could have done some things differently while you were playing it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked like that next day. You're like, well, I figured out what I could have done. I, I should have done this and this and this with the gunslinger. And I was like, yeah, I should have, you know, here's what I should have done to kind of counter the gunslinger that night. And so any game that has you continue to think about it after you're done playing it has got to have something going on for it. Mm-hmm. And any game that makes you think more strategy for it has got to have something going on for it. Especially since this game, out of the box, it looks like a really light game. Yeah. But there is actually... And, and the name. Yeah. Kind of. Zerpang. It's like made up word, you know. Well, it's, and just what... Oh, well, all the geek. All yeah. The, all, all the geek fight. We can do the geek fight. You yeah. Know, it's, you kind of think, oh, well, the, the smash up. I get to play my favorite geek race. That's what I thought. You know, thing. this is kind of a smash but up. But it really isn't a smash it, It's not even close because it's it's not as light. A smash up. No, not at all. This, yeah. once you play the game and see that it's not just moving your sorry tokens around, <laughs> it's, uh, still there, not saying that right. There's a lot of depth here, <laughs> you know, strategically. Rules, I'm going to say is the one place where this, where this can tighten up some. Not horrible. We got through it. Sometimes we had to go through it a few times. There is a fact on, whirling derby games site that helps clarify some things uh i think uh the gunslinger is the one that a lot of people have multiple questions about uh some of those are answered in the fact i think especially with it being a game crafter game and the fact that it's a print-on-demand site just eliminate the fact or add it into the rules Every once in a while, you you hit some vague wording that you, we had to kind of pause on and take some time and both in the rules and, and cards. Yep, rules and cards. So just a little more tightening up, and this would be really solid. 
Oh, the other thing is there's a list of the cards and stuff and, and the the abilities on the cards and the abilities that I think each of the races have. Uh, if you're going to do that, at least a couple of the ones that we somewhat had question on, and then I went and looked at it, and it was just word for word what was on the card. It shouldn't be – there's no reason for it to be in there if that's all it is. If you're not going to actually explain the card or something to it or give an example, if, if then that's two, three pages wasted to me. But again, going back to being POD, yeah, fix the card. Yeah, fix the card, and or you know, yeah, that or if if you know, add in that example, mm-hmm. add the fact in. But again, we're we're talking about. I mean, it's it's a little bit of tightening here. We're not talking about. Yeah, this is not a rewrite. This and is it's just, not an unplayable. It's not like oh my god, I can't read these rules. It's just there's every once in a while you hit that vagueness, and I'm fine with the fact. But again, with it being print on demand, so don't make people find you because if they're going to the game crafter they're buying the game there and then they have to come back and then they find out that they have to go to your website which is not the game crafter to download the P- the pdf or the rules or to i can't remember if it was a pdf or not anyway just add it in and clean it up a little bit but not bad again want to stress that <laughs> we've both seen worse huh yes <laughs> teachability what do you think i mean i i, I kind of took the lead on teaching it so what did you think? Uh, I think it's a straight-up easy game to to teach. You gave me the basics without having to refer to the rules, and that's always good. We didn't need to refer to the rules until we came up with some card rule questions. Uh, so Turn orders on the board. Yep. Everything you need is on the board, and I think it's actually on each corner, mm-hmm. so no matter where you're seated, you can see two. it. Yeah. yeah. And there's sufficiently limited options that there's not a need for you know 20 minutes of prep for your first game to go mm-hmm. through everything it's four things done in the same order every turn yeah uh, teachability is very easy and playing back to back is not bad either i mean it's just yeah. pretty much switching out your your class card again it, the, the the pawns don't change because they're just by color so you yeah. can keep your color uh you might have to add in a couple extra pieces like for the zombies or whatever mm-hmm. but take away the cheating blue pawn Take away the cheating blue pond. Uh, so yeah, it's even back to back plays. Is, I mean, and we've done it. I mean, it it's not bad at all yep. to, to reset up real quick. Just yeah, bam, let's go. Yeah, just put all your stuff and shovel. Yeah. Theme. You could describe this as the geek arena. <laughs> I like it. Um, you could say, Are you not entertained, geeks? <laughs> Can you dig <laughs> it? <laughs> Uh, you could say there's Fair really pain. no theme. <laughs> Come out and play. You could say there's really no theme because it's really not described with a lot of fluff. It's your theme comes from your race. And mm-hmm. so your theme is going to change every day, every game. And there's nothing there that inherently makes you want to play like a zombie or a gunslinger or an elf. Yeah. Uh, so theme is light in my mind. But that's not a detract. Yeah, it's, it's not hardcore theme. Yeah, there's not, there's no, there's no backstory on why all of these wonderful geek things that we like to fight over, what's better, uh, exist in this one game. It just does, and it's awesome. <laughs> he I mean, needs it, to go get the licenses <laughs> so he can do Zerpang, the 
sci-fi edition and <laughs> go get like Doctor Who and Battlestar and original Battlestar and awesome. Star Wars and See, Star that, Trek. But that's what you do with this game. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole, the, the theme is the geek fight. Yeah. Really. It is. And, and that's, that's great. And I think he did. It's a, not just zombies or pirates. It's he everything. did a pretty good job with the abilities for each one. Now here's what we're going to talk about. I personally can't stand the elf Elves. being in there. He needed something for he needed a vowel. Otherwise, it became a Russian yeah. word. Well, <laughs> again, I, I I get what I mean. If he has a group like that that has people like our group, again, if I come late, I'm fine. If I sit out a game, well, because I want to be social. Explain what the elf is there for before we. Well, say what well we I, like. I did earlier. It, it I said it's you do nothing and it, you win if the game goes yeah. more than three hours. It, it's described as being for the guy that comes in late and yeah. you don't want to affect the game or as a teaching aid. Yeah. So you can, if you got a new player, they just play the elves and watch everybody else play. Yeah. I don't care for it. No. You know what? I, I would be fine if it was included, if it was maybe an alternate version. I think the elves should be a valid playable race mm-hmm. if you're going to include it. And then you can have this alternate if you want. I, that I would be fine with, but it does I don't, it, I know there's a bunch of other races, but it does bug me that the elf really elves really aren't playable. I just, I would love to see what the elves' abilities and all that good stuff would be, and to, and to get them into the game. I mean, if you're going to include them, if you're going to include them in the name, include them They're in, in the, the game. name. Yeah, yeah. include them, them in, the, in game. the game. That bugs me. Like EA says, they're in the <laughs> game. But again, uh, not enough. To say that this is a bad game, obviously, and it's just okay. It's one race that you don't yeah you just put know in you're the never option. Use. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just not an option. Uh, fun factor, I think it's pretty high. I mean, just playing two players, you know, it got quite obvious when we were at a stall point, you know, and when we were at, or a, a stalemate. So we we moved on, and uh, I definitely think, like I said earlier, this is an e- uh, an odd number of player game, but I think. Just moving up to, you know, to three or four, five, six, whatever. I think it just gets better with the more players you have. I agree. We had a good time with the game. We recognized when we would have potentially not had a good time if we actually tried to go to end with two players and just kind of moved on. We constantly were like, yeah, it'd be nice to get another player in here. Not, not as in like, oh my God, this sucks playing two player, but just like, oh, this would be kind of cool to see, uh, how this plays out with, one more person on the board even mm-hmm. any game that we talk about later, not as in the, Oh yeah, that was fun or anything like that. But in the, you know what I could have done different. You know what I, you know what, I, you know what I thought of after you left that kind of conversation, you know, a game is solid. Yep. There was really no hate anywhere. It was, it was, Oh all yeah. Focused. Mystic bindings, buddy. There was hate. <laughs> well, the, there was hate three times <laughs> in a five minute period. That there was, was hate. That wasn't the kind of hate I was talking about. Actually, that was joy. <laughs> so yeah, solid game. One we recommend looks lighter than it really is. Yeah. There is definitely strategic elements to this. This is a game. Again, if it's a game that makes you think about the game after you've done playing. This is a game where I thought this would be awesome with actual minis. Minis, yeah. Go out and buy a bunch of gunslingers, a bunch of, well, you don't need the elves, but a bunch of everything <laughs> else, you know, six of each, and then custom a bigger board, you know, so that, you know, 20 mil bases would fit on there and run that. I think that would add, just for my little mini geekery, <laughs> that would really add a different level of fun to the game. Uh, this is a game I, I keep thinking is, 
it's very solid as is mm-hmm. and I completely enjoy it. But it's one of those games where you just, you look at it and I go, man, I'd love to see what this could do with some money behind it mm-hmm. with, with some production value, more production value behind it. And again, not taken away from what's there. If I was going to recommend a game for Kickstarter for crowdfunding to make the super deluxe version, I mean, this would be yeah. it. It's time for the Brick Breakdown, where we're breaking down what's building up in the LEGO universe. This segment of the Brick Breakdown was brought to you by the technical genius of Cody Parcell, professional voice actor, board game designer, and thespian on his weekdays. Or weekends? Weekends. Actually, both, I think. It's also brought to you by the Gamers Grind. Uh, currently, as of May 27th, at the time of this recording, uh, Gamers Grind has an Indiegogo campaign to turn it from a board game store to a cafe board game uh, store along the lines of Snakes and Lattes. Yep. Found up in Canada. All right. On this segment, we are going to be talking about the Lego minifigure. Which is one of the thing, one of the most favorite things of most people. If they talk about Lego, they talk about the minifigures. It's probably one of the most collectible pieces that are in any set of Lego today. Mm-hmm. Uh, some going for hundreds of dollars uh, just because of the rarity. Uh, the first minifigures were released in 1975, but they aren't the current uh, model that's used today. They didn't have arms that could move or legs that could move. I actually had one when I was a child, and it kind of was weird because the legs were pointing and the feet were pointing outwards. So it was a little, uh, what was it? What do you call that? Not pigeon toed, but duck. Something like that. Yeah, it, it, it was very profile and kind of weird looking. And the other thing is it had no face. It, I mean, it had a head, but there was no... There was no printing on the no face. There's no printing on the face. And some of them did have hats or hair, but that was it. Yeah. Um, uh, so then in 1978, in Town, Space, and Castle, they introduced what is now the modern minifigure. Mm-hmm. So it has movable legs, it has hands, arms, and printed faces. Yeah, the heads were very simple. It's just two dots for the eyes and a little smile line for the mouth, and that was it. Everybody was happy. For about 11 years, everybody was happy. Yes, because in 1989, the Pirates line introduced new expressions. Yep. As well as new... Um, body parts. Body parts. So instead of having two regular legs, there was a regular leg and a peg leg. And or, instead of two hands, you had a regular hand and a hook. Yeah. And uh, it's just grown from there. So then later we uh, move into, well, the rumor is that big uh, toy ma- uh, uh, retailers yeah, like retail. Toys R Us started asking Lego if there was any way they can do a, a small um, collectible type grab baggy mm-hmm. minifigure. Thing. Now, this is just a rumor, though. It hasn't been confirmed. Right. Because normally when stores and retailers ask for this, it becomes an exclusive to that particular store. And these minifigures are available in a lot of different stores. Right. So, in 2010... And in 2010, they came out with the first series of the collectible minifigure. And sadly, Lego underproduced them. They were... It was very rare, very hard to find them. A store was lucky if they got two boxes and each box had 60 figures. And so these first two series, because they were produced in Lego at the same time, series one and two in 2010 were really underprinted. All the figures from those two series are very rare and those are the most expensive 
of the collectible minifigure series. And after that, they did three per year till now. We're at uh, the most current one came out beginning of May, the series 10. Yeah, and the first two minifigures, they were retailing for like $1.99. Yeah. So they were really cheap to buy. And if they you just, could find them. They just flew off the shelves. Yeah. And considering the fact that we can't talk about every single minifigure that's out there, because there are thousands, we're going to focus our conversation on the collectible minifigure. Because with every series, they come out with 16 new minifigures. With a lot of new parts, new molds, new colors. Uh, they really introduce a lot of new elements in the collectible minifigures. We, a lot of fans are, are getting to the point where they believe that this is a testing grounds because once it's in the minifigure series and if they get good feedback, we've seen the parts and pieces uh, appear in the regular sets. So uh, for some of these, we think that in the future, there may be a circus because there's so many different circus sets, uh, circus minifigures coming out through all these series. Uh, there's also a lot of historical and things like that. So in the future, if you see them in the minifigure collectible series, sometime soon you may see them in the normal sets. Yes. And with the beginning of May, we saw series 10 come out, which brought our total up to 161. Yeah. And that one is figures. very special. But we'll talk about that later. Yes. So let's get into, and uh, what we've set up for our format is that I picked five minifigures, and Sarah picked five minifigures, and based on what we think is the best or most important. So my number five is the Clockwork Robot from Series 6. Now, one of the reasons why I think it's very important is because in terms of how it's designed, it's extremely meta. It's a toy... That's a toy. Yeah. Because the clockwork robot has this, well, little wind-up piece on the on its back. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that kind of just blew my mind that you have a toy representing another toy. Yeah. And it was a really popular figure, too. My number five is the fairy. And while I didn't like all the colors of her outfit, what I liked is it introduced wings. Lego's done various back pieces that are attached on the neck and they hang on the back. And it's just boggled me that they've never done wings before. And because, you know, I just really like to make, you know, fairies do a lot more fantasy stuff. I really would like to be able to make more of those type of creations. And this is the first figure that really that introduced the possibility with the she had blue wings. And so that was really, I think, a key moment a new piece being made yeah and she also comes with a nice little scalloped uh skirt right and the skirt is another new piece very rarely does lego use cloth and so this is one of the few times that they did use cloth for skirt okay your number four my number four is the medusa and as i've said i really love fantasy figures and they've done a lot of different they've done a cyclops and a whole host of mythical or uh, fantasy creatures but what I actually like the most about the Medusa is she's ugly. And one of the things is Lego doesn't really make ugly figures, especially when it comes to the female figures. Almost all the female figures are pretty. They have lipstick mouths and, uh, you know, eyelashes, and they look really pretty. And this is the first one to me where they finally tackled a female figure and weren't, they were not afraid to make it ugly because there's ugly male figures, but they have not done that for female. This is the first one that really tackles that. 
Well, there was the witch. That's true. There was the witch. But even then, she's still... Uh, yeah, I guess. The witch was maybe and the first. And there was the... the Orc witch that was in the fantasy era troll set. Well, now you're just tearing it all down for me. Well, for the collectible minifigures? Yes. Uh, aside from the witch. The witch did come out in an earlier series. I think that maybe what it is, it's the combination of the, the mythical creature. Right. Being... Because the snake body is very, yeah. very interesting. But you're right. The witch from one of the earlier series was the first ugly female in the collectible minifigure series. My number four is the Kimono Girl from series four. Uh, the reason why I picked it is because I felt that it really brought out a another culture. And it was bringing out the culture in a non-combative way. Which they don't do very often. They have done with the uh, various historical minifigures. Uh, here's a conquistador, or here's a musketeer, which belongs to a culture... But it usually revolves around some sort of combat, mm -hmm. some sort of gun, some sort of sword, some sort of uh, violence. And the Kimono Girl was was that kind of elegant approach that was very refreshing to me. I agree. I definitely agree on that. Okay, my number three was the Dino Suit Guy from Series 4 as well. There is a whole series of minifigures throughout the various series that have minifigures in what are portrayed as costumes. Mm -hmm. The reason why I picked the dinosaur suit guy above all the other ones is because dimensionally it had, well, depth and height because his head helmet thing went way up and his tail piece went way back. So you got a, a very dimensionally diverse minifigure, mm -hmm. while at the same time capturing the whimsy of the costumes. That's true, because some of the other costumes are just painted on without being three-dimensional, like you said. Right. Like the very first one was the gorilla suit guy. Mm -hmm. He had a hel helmet piece that had the gorilla face. But when it came to the costume, it was just painted on his front. Right. A little zipper was painted on the back. Mm -hmm. That was it. Yeah. Well, my number three is the Viking woman. And if you haven't noticed a theme so far, it, it's very obvious. I am really enthralled with all the female figures coming out in the collectible minifigures, which I'll talk about more later um, and how I think the collectible minifigure series is really changing the face of the Lego universe for female figures. But for now, the Viking woman, she's just a really great blend of a woman who is pretty and yet fierce and it combines it with the dress slope. So it gives a very beautiful dress that can be used for a variety of purposes. She can either be a warrior woman or she could be in kind of like on the opera stage. I, I could I could see her there, too. It's it's um just a very versatile figure. Wasn't one of her faces uh, kind of a singing? Yeah, she had an open mouth. Uh, you could either be. Uh, yeah, I think singing is a good choice for that. Um, singing or screaming. Yeah, that's it. Singing or screaming. Now, number two will diverge from my female lineup in that one of the things I've always wanted from Lego were the fantasy elves. And now this came out way before Lord of the Rings was ever announced. And so we were ecstatic when we heard that they were going to make a minifigure elf. And so months before we they actually came out, we built a three-story tall tree house, or I say we, I should say Will built a three-story tall tree shrine for the elves that we were going to populate once we got them. 
But yeah, it was just, it was amazing that they were finally going to do elves and it, the ears are just a headpiece. So it, the, the, the pointed ears are built into the hair. Um, and I just hope they really develop that more in the future. My series two, or my number two comes from series two and it's the Spartan. And the reason why, uh, of course, when it came out, uh, 300 was still big. So people were talking about, you know, buying 300 copies of this. I believe someone actually did. Yes, someone did manage to get 300 Spartans, which was very hard. Sell it after? Yeah, I think they just wanted to collect it and then they sold it after. Okay, so not only does it have that nice cultural historical reference, but it brought in the idea of army building. Mm -hmm. Now that's one of the big things you hear uh, now is when a collectible minifigure series comes out is well what good army builders are there that's true well and that just means which minifigure do you want lots and lots of copies in to fill your ranks and the spartan did that for people and it brought that to the forefront as this is one of the things we do with a collectible minifigure it's very true now my number one is from series one and it's the zombie i'm really surprised at this one uh I myself am not a huge zombie fan, but it was right before Monster Fighters. And this goes back to what Sarah was saying, that if you see a minifigure in the collectible minifigures, mm-hmm. it might be a testing ground. Uh, because soon after, we saw Monster Fighters, which had other zombies. Mm-hmm. But for me, the zombie was the first zombie in LEGO. And it finally addressed a huge growing culture yes of zombie fans yeah there's a large group of customizers out there that make their own zombie minifigures um it's kind of like with me and the elves no one had no no official lego set had done that before and they finally tested it here with the zombie and then they did it with the monster fighters and there were more zombies there and it finally gave that segment of the audience what they wanted and that's why that's my number one And as for my number one, it's very similar to the Viking woman, but it's the forest maiden. Again, it's that perfect blend to me of a beautiful woman who is fierce, strong, and independent. And I really believe that Lego needs to make more of these figures. I mean, I know it's kind of corny to say that, you know, our toys will inspire kids to be, you know, more in the future. But a lot of the Lego figures that are female... In, like, the city line, it's just the same body as the male figures, just has a female head. And there is very little identification that this is a woman who is going their own path and and doing what they want to do. And the Forest Maiden also, again, addresses the fantasy element that I really like, but also that this is a woman who knows what she's doing. Well, that's our top five. Now we're going to go into our honorable mentions. These are the minifigures that either didn't quite make our list or we felt wouldn't make our list but they're worth mentioning so your honorable mention my honorable mention is little red riding hood which unfortunately lego calls grandma visitor which i find a little creepy so i call her little red riding hood because that's who she is and one she visits grandma i know she visits grandma but to say she's a grandma visitor is just stalking it's very descriptive yes Anyways, I really like the fantasy and fairy tales. And one of the things I've always wanted to do is a series of fairy tale uh, creations. 
And with Monster Fighters releasing a realistic uh, wolf, or not realistic, a fantasy wolf figure, I can use that as the wolf, use a little Red Riding Hood, and then all I have to do is wait till the next series to get Grandma. And then I'll be able to make my little mock that I want. And you don't to. have to do a single bit of customization. And right, because that's one of the things is I had gotten a female figure, and as there was a a friend of ours that who does customization, and I was going to work with him to repaint it and touch it up. But now I just won't have to. I'll just have to wait till Grandma comes. It's official. Yep. Now my honorable mention is that extra one minifigure that brings the total up from 160 to 161, and that is Mister Gold. And Mr. Gold is a brand new concept for Lego. It was introduced in Series 10. And the idea is that it's a certified minifigure. They're only going to make 5,000 copies. Worldwide. Worldwide. And fortunately, they're not going to front load everything. They're not going to make all 5,000 and put them out and then they're done. It's for the entire life of the product. They're going to keep making them until they get to the 5,000. And... That has brought in a whole new uh, round of people yeah. trying to look for it. And that's mainly because the rarity and the demand makes it worth so much. I actually did find one. I went through over 700 minifigures in one day. We went to four, five different stores. Yes. And I turned around, put it on eBay, and the eBay auction ended at $725. That's the demand for it. Now, the demand will eventually go down as the supply goes up, but the prices for it are still pretty high because there's a lot of people out there who either don't have the access, don't have the time, or they aren't able to feel the random bags as well as Will because Will's got 100% accuracy on it. Crazy mad skills. Yes, crazy mad skills. And the thing is, for us, he's not that unique of a figure. He looks like the Monopoly man. Uh, he's got a top hat, he's wearing a suit, and he has a uh, walking staff, or walking stick. But uh, And he's pearl, pearl gold or chrome gold? Parts of them are pearl, pearl gold. Pearl gold, that's right. Other parts are chrome gold. He's not actually chrome. No. He's all plastic. So he's really shiny. Yeah, he's just really shiny. But I think for a lot of people, it's the rarity. There's only 5,000 in the world, and that means a lot more to them. Where for us, the money meant a lot more to us. But I, I think I can buy a much bigger set. Right. But I think for us, though, part of it was the experience of looking for it. There was that intense moment of joy when we found it. And that is the experience that I value in finding him. But once we found him, I didn't feel the need to keep him. Right. I rather have the money. Yeah. Now for our wish list. This yes. is many figures that they haven't made, but we wish they would. And unfortunately, since we got uh, not a lot of time, we're just going to list one. So my wish is that they make a female elf. Now, yes, with the the Lord of the Rings that are out right now, they have made a few female elves. The problem is they're using Legolas's hair, which has a pronounced widow's peak, even though it has the long hair. It looks ugly. And, and it's, it's also flesh tone. And the other thing is, Lord of the Rings are flesh tone, where the normal minifigures are still the old yellow. So my wish is that in the collectible minifigure series, they would make a female elf that has pretty hair with the pointed ears. My wish list is to have a Greek hero. Yes. Um, I don't care if it's Perseus, Jason, Hercules, whatever. I just want someone that's designed to fight. 
the Minotaur, the Cyclops, and the, Medus- the Medusa. Yeah, all those that have all the out. monsters that are been released in, in mm-hmm. the series. Uh, so that's my wish list. Okay, uh, next, uh, I want to go a little bit more into the female ratio. So one of the biggest issues I have is the Lego universe is 95% male and 5% female. But one of the things that's been an interesting evolution of the collectible minifigure series is a lot of women are collecting these minifigures. I don't know the exact percentage, but a lot of the people I talk to, more women are looking for these than men. So... In the very first series, there was only two females and 14 males. And then in series two, they bumped it up to three females and 13 males. And that lasted for quite a while. In series five, they upped it to four females and 12 males. But then almost immediately, series six upped it to five females and 11 males. And that's the way it's been progressing since then. And I just keep hoping maybe one of these days, it'll be 50%. And there'll be, um, I don't know how many... Eight, eight female, eight males. It's just boggles my mind. I mean, I know the largest percentage of children is it's more male oriented, but honestly, unless you make more female minifigures, you're not going to attract girls into the hobby or into playing with Lego. True. And then as far as uh, the collectible minifigure, it's actually uh, spawned a couple of spinoffs. Yes. For the 2012 Olympics, since it was held in London, they did a special nine minifigure collectible minifigure type promo it was team great britain and there was i know there were three females and six males i didn't there's a karate girl a swimmer horseback rider gymnast weightlifter yeah that sort of thing yeah but they were only sold over in europe right so that if you're anywhere else one they didn't produce a lot of them and so there are more expensive but there are people who wanted to get them all, then they paid a premium price to get those. Yeah. And speaking of uh, promos in Europe, another one came out, and this was different. It was an individual minifigure. Mm-hmm. It was the Lego BR minifigure, and it, apparently this is a mascot for a big toy storyline yeah. that's over in Europe. So it's only sold over there. Right. Uh, it's a little toy soldier. Yep. Really cute. And this is probably the only collectible minifigure that you don't have to feel for because... There's only one in... It's not even a series. It's just one figure. Right. So if you see it over there or you see somebody selling it, that's it. There's no other figures to find. Yes. And then I think we will just end with uh, what's coming up in September. We're going to get Series 11. And we have... uh, We do know a few things. We haven't seen any pictures yet, but we know they will be in green bags. And these are the figures that they will be. A Yeti, an Evil Mech, a Welder, Lady Robot, Jazz Musician, Constable, Holiday Elf, Bavarian Lady, Scarecrow, Mountain Climber, Grandma, Tiki Warrior, Gingerbread Man, Barbarian, a Diner Waitress, and a Scientist. So that will be quite interesting. different than the crazy mad scientists. Maybe it's more of a traditional real science. You know how they did the um, physi- the surgeons and oh, they did yeah, a nurse? Yeah. I'm assuming it's going to be the more straight. The act- respectable. Yeah, yeah, the respectable scientist. Yes. So that is our uh, segment for the collectible minifigures and just minifigures in general. Uh, you can find more information about all things Lego uh, where I write at thebrickblogger.com. 
Uh, I specifically write the brick breakdown articles where I take uh, normal sets, I break them down and talk about their interesting techniques. Uh, you can also find Sarah on Twitter. Yes, I am on Twitter a lot talking about Lego and board games as we are also board game designers. And so you can find me at Eurogamergirl and I'd be willing to talk Lego and or board games or anything else and uh, looking forward to hearing from you all. So that has been the Brick Breakdown with Will and Sarah. Have a good day. Now hit the bricks. What we're watching. Let me see. Uh, Game of Thrones, obviously. Still enjoying it. Still things that are vastly changing in front of our eyes from the books from time to time. What did you think? Again, you know, uh, non-spoiler. <laughs> I think Cersei had the best line of the app this week. I'm after two apps of watching Melisandre do things that never happened. Yes, thank you. Uh, at least it made sense in a retroactive sort of way based on something they vaguely cover in the fifth book, I think, but not in great detail. I got to say, I could have gone the rest of my life without seeing her naked, but... <laughs> Just not the Melisandre of the book, as no, far as I'm concerned. No, not at all. I think this was a... That was a good app. I liked yeah, it. Uh, overall, I, I did. And, but every once in a while, I still get the that's not right shock. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> George had an interview at the start of the season for... I forget where it was. And in the interview, he said, we made a change in season one. Just in general. So there's going to be dominoes. Right. And this is the season where all the dominoes, the dominoes fall over. Yeah. Uh, and that, and that's, at least they admitted it, that the divergences are getting better. Uh, I should say bigger. But as long as the divergences are strictly timeline stuff, stuff that refer, you know, is referred to in four, five, and six, but we know that it's happening at the same time. It's just the way the books are broken up. Then I'm fine with that. You know, like all this stuff with Melisandre and Gendry. It didn't make sense until it got to the very end where Stannis did his thing with the leeches. Mm. Well, that sounds pervy, but you know, <laughs> that explains yeah. what, that explains something that's referenced in the fourth or fifth book. So, okay. It came up to something that made sense to me. It wasn't just adding for the sake of having more of that woman on screen, mm -hmm. you know, and that I find acceptable. And if it continues to be like that, it's just a, a, a timing thing rather than. And suddenly the dragon has three heads for no reason. <laughs> like, literally, it's not just a Targi thing. You know, then I will remain happy. Yeah, overall, I'm I'm fine with it. Mm -hmm. I've, I've been enjoying it. It's been a good season. Uh, let's see, what else do I got here? You know what? Let's I'll, I'll skip ahead a little bit here to what I was going to say, or at least the order I have them here, because this is the other one. We can talk about the Doctor Who series finale. Mm -hmm. What would you think? <laughs> you know, Steve, you give... And then you take away. And in this one, he did both at almost the same time. This was an enjoyable ep, except, you see, my one complaint for this series has always been they write for the now and they only give basic lip service to what happened in the first 30 years. The characters are there. The creatures are there. The monsters are there. The history is there, but eh, I mean, timey-wimey. That's what we're going to do. But then, in this app, he went on 
he went full bore. This is the history. And, and yes, it's the lead into the 50th. So, you know, right. but this is the history. He had the doctors. He had the old footage. You know, he was weaving her into all the doctors to make a one unified story. And I was like, this is very interesting. I like how he's doing this. And then he, in just one word, <laughs> in literally one word, Valyard, he ruined it all. Because that just twigged me to the fact that this is not an original idea. As soon as he, I didn't know John Hurt was going to be in it, but as soon as he said Valyard, I knew where he was going at the end of the app. Because this is what they did <laughs> with the Colin Baker Trial of the Time Lord season. The Valyard. For those that haven't watched it, go watch it because it's a much better version of what Stephen Moffat did. And it's a whole season long. Still, that said, November 23rd can't come fast enough. Nice. <laughs> A little bit of love-hate thing going on over there. You know, after we watched it, Sarah asked me why I looked bored. <laughs> and I'm like, because as soon as he said Valyard, I knew exactly where he was going with everything. <laughs> Sorry, but I did watch the first 30 years. And if this is your moment where you pick to pay homage to that, and I don't know if you watched the Colin Baker stuff. And I don't know if you saw. Not really. I, okay. I did mostly Tom Baker and I'll then explain, I was in and out after I'll that. explain off air because <laughs> it's fine. Uh, you know, but it's, it's I, I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought, liked it. Yeah. I, I thought it was a pretty decent episode. Megan enjoyed it as well. Keep, if you keep if going she, with what, what I want to say and what I don't want to say because we don't want uh, If he hadn't worked Clara in as the companion through time. Mm -hmm. Well, not necessarily the companion, but the observer through time, mm -hmm. which actually on a different level worked really well in Legopolis. But it would have been, would have seemed to me more like pandering leading up to the 50. Let's, how mm -hmm. many of these doctors can we squeeze in there, you know, mm -hmm. for no particular reason? But the way they moved her through the time stream and not only explained why she's the impossible girl, but got all the doctors in there. I thought that was actually fairly reasonable. Just to me, I don't know. Maybe it felt a bit rushed. Yeah, but they all do. But yeah, it's it, forty-five it, minutes. Ago it versus wasn't eighty. So well, no, I I just meant the whole Clara uh, storyline, I guess, in a way, because mm. it was you know, it's just kind of. I mean, yeah, she had an episode way back here, and then she came back, and then all of a sudden she's she's back back. But I don't know. I just I I would have. I think I would have enjoyed. More time leading up to what this did. And obviously, yeah, they're prepping for the 50th. But I th think I would have enjoyed, I know a lot, I, I think just too many people need to have answers too fast sometimes. And that's the whole thing. And it, so everybody was chomping at bit. Are we, you know, the series finale? What are we going to know about Claire? I'd have been fine going into another season, mm -hmm. still exploring that. That's just, see, you know. I'm the same of the same mind there because now we've answered why she's the impossible girl and I guess depending on how you want to look at it, she's not impossible anymore. He pulled her out of time now or back into proper time. So she's not really impossible. They haven't addressed how that's because he goes back and everybody starts to disappear. She goes back and fix everything. Everybody reappears, but she doesn't. So mm -hmm. then he goes back and pulls her out. Well, You've just created your Spoiler. own time loop, <laughs> you know? She has to go back, but she didn't, but she did, but she didn't. So, and then they broke their own consistency of you can't cross your own timeline, but mm -hmm. he did. Literally entered his own timeline. 
So yeah, I would have loved to have gone in there and have another season of why is she the impossible girl? Not every app, mind you. But so now she's done. So now she's just a regular companion. Mm-hmm. So and now she's going to fall in love with them because that's what all <laughs> the women do. All right. Moving on from that. I'm watching. Uh, Two in a row, buddy. <laughs> New York Ink and Best Ink. So I'm getting my uh, tattoo fix right now. One uh, straight up like reality show. The other one, the competitive reality show. Enjoy those. I don't think we'll be watching much more Best Ink here soon. It's not the best. Uh, well, no, it's not. I do prefer Ink Master over Best Ink. Again, we've, I, I've been taunted for having a favorite in that category <laughs> because it shouldn't be a category, but. Favorite reality tattoo show. <laughs> competition show. Competition show. <laughs> but yeah, Best Ink is, it's okay. I mean, but it's, it's, it's on that particular one is on oxygen. So it's, there's a lot more to the drama and, and it's a little more artsy and, it was kind of funny because, you know, Ink Master just finished not too long ago. And who knows? I mean, the timing of when all of these are being actually recorded and all that good stuff. But some of the exact same types of challenges that we just saw in Ink Master, like, like exactly like design a, or put, put an artistic design on this guitar. Both, both shows did it. You know, that, that kind of thing. So I don't know, but I, I prefer Ink Master because it's, it's less drama. And more of the show. And the other thing too is I've said this before and I will continually say it until competition shows like this that are supposed to be like, you know, we're looking for the best of the best. I cannot stand immunity. <laughs> Can't stand it. It because that's that to me ruins it. That's that's ridiculous. So they this one does have an immunity challenge up to a certain level. Get out there, man. Pitch it. Pitch it. No Where, immunity. Ink Master doesn't have immunity. You might get some special ability. I think I've talked about that before. You might get something special. You get something special. But I have actually watched Ink Master and see the person to win the first challenge who would have had immunity anywhere else and then go home on the actual challenge kind of thing. So, But that's pretty much all. I mean, other than various things here. So our DVR is completely filling up. So uh, we spent like a day watching some stuff to get it down. So we keep recording because we're still power watching fringe. So we're on season four now. We're getting there. So who knows what's going to happen? Oh, I know. <laughs> I did go see Iron Man three. Mm-hmm. So I did finally get to go see that. Overall, I'm fine with every, almost everything. I'm, I'm good. I was never a huge, huge Iron Man fan though. I mean, it's not like something I, I read it off and on, but never like, Oh my God. I, Yay, Iron Man. So, yeah. The Mandarin, I can understand why hardcore fans would be upset, but don't care, I guess. I mean, as far as my watching experience, I personally kind of enjoyed the uh, media manipulation aspect of the whole deal and the, uh, you know, the, the shadow regime kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good movie. Other than that, I just. Do you want- think it was the best of the three? No, cause I, I think it's got some of the same weaknesses that I've kind of heard about. I, I still, I've got to give it up to the first one. It's an enjoyable movie. I don't mind the parts where Tony was out of the armor, uh, which I've heard a lot of people bitch about, but why not? I mean, I mean, that's what it is. And I, I agree with you. It was a, it's a good way to cover demon in the bottle. What, yeah. I mean, what basically what happens in Tony's life without actually going hmm. to the, I am a full-blown alcoholic and making him a completely horrible 
person instead of a lovable dick, you know, kind of thing. So I, I agree. I, I like that part. The pieces I don't that are not solid to me is um, things like how disposable like every single piece of armor was. <laughs> Kind of thing, and just, just little things like that. But the Mark Forty Two joke wore on me by the end. You know, yeah. it, it never worked. Right, and it, and again, it's just the. I mean, the, the, it's been out for a while now. Like towards the end, and the, the main where you know we finally actually see like Iron Man, but it's just like every few seconds of it. Well, that armor's destroyed. Give me another one. Give me another one. Kind of thing, and that I, I don't know if I cared for as much. I, yeah, I don't know. It was fine, but that lessened it for me i guess but overall i enjoyed the movie what else am i going to talk about um haven't seen yet but i want to and it's building up on our dvr and of course once fringe is over then maybe this will be one of the things i check out but defiance have you watched that at all yes actually i have and i don't know if that's filling up our dvr it should be (laughs) i haven't i I haven't caught any of it yet the first I heard the first episode is shaky, but gets better as it goes along, and then it's actually starting to get better. The first ep was a two, the two hour premiere, and right. the yeah. first half was like, oh, really? This is like standard sci fi. Yeah. So that's, it's going to go on forever, yeah. despite the fact it should be put down right now. <laughs> but second half of the first ep, it tightened up. Yeah. And then third ep, I'm not sure if we've seen three or four, but I was very satisfied. Yeah, now I gotta go home and find out what happened. Cause I'm, I'm <laughs> think it's, I don't know, our series must, our series recording must have got screwed up. I know we've, um, I know, I think, I think the last time I saw it fly off through our screen while we were trying to figure out what to watch quick to get it off, I think we had like six episodes or something like that. Yeah, but it, it's this, if they give this four or five seasons, well, see, it's Rock Neil Bannon and I'm a big Farscape fan. Yeah. So, so it, he's attached to this. And the first half of the far, first Farscape season was also kind of rocky as he got used to all the Muppets and the new universe. Yeah, the first Farscape was rocky. The and, first and Babylon 5 trade, was rocky. Uh, I mean, B5 was, I mean, the payoff was there. Yeah. And that's what I'm hoping for. If sci-fi will give this four or five seasons, they don't even need to tell an overarching story like B5 or Farscape. But if they just give this to be four or five seasons of good episodic TV with a history, then yeah, I, I, I this is a great groundwork season. You think it's more likely? I guess I don't know the. I haven't seen how well it's potentially doing, but is it more likely, do you think, that this will get a little more time to develop because there is the crossover game? I think so. Yeah. I wonder if that's not some of the reason, because, you know, one of the things I heard is, like, the CGI is the CGI getting is better. far superior than your standard sci-fi show. Yeah. And by that, I mean network, not... You know, the, the, you know. Right. And they've said right from the outset that they wanted the two, well, as you said, they wanted the two media to, to merge that ev- events yeah. in the game mm-hmm. might play out on the TV show, but a- definitely the TV versa. show yeah. is going to yeah. affect the game. Yeah. So like I said, I, I, at some point I will get to that, but not until season five of Fringe is over. We're into season four of Fringe right now. Season three, apparently, Either I got amnesia or I actually did miss the second half of season three because I didn't remember nothing <laughs> from it except for the last episode. I'm like, I know exactly where this is going. I don't remember getting there. So cool. Cause luckily, cause at one point the option was Megan was just going to watch it and then catch up to season five and then we'd watch season five together. So gladly I've been part of the rewatch because I'm like, I, 
this second half of this season. I'm like, I know the last episode. I know exactly how the last episode goes. I don't remember any of the shit in the middle. <laughs> All right. So, uh, and then, uh, possibly this weekend, since it's a long weekend, we might do mo- movie marathon. So, uh, Megan's got on the list that she wants us to hit Star Trek. Cause since we didn't last weekend, like we were hoping to, Fast and the Furious 6 and Hangover 3. We might see all three this weekend. Really? Yes. Fast and shut the it. Furious. Shut it. Shut it. No. There yes. will be no shutting. I, I will, oh, watch I will shut Fast it, but and there the will Furious be silent 6. mocking. I will watch it and I will own it to add to my collection of the other five. Oh, my God, Suck it. man. Suck it. Filters. Don't look at everything. Not everything with Vin Diesel and or The Rock needs to be seen and or owned. Hey, what are you watching? <laughs> Actually, a lot of stuff that you covered, minus the tattoo shows and Fringe. I did get to see Star Trek, and it was fairly enjoyable. I uh, actually haven't been watching a lot because it's the hockey playoffs, so I've just been watching hockey. Go Bruins. Yay. Yay. <laughs> What we're reading slash listening to. The reading listening, it's actually fairly small this week because I covered a month last hey. time. No. I finished listening to Weapons of Choice, and I'm not going to pursue that series. It's not uh, It's not bad. It started off strong and then just fizzled a little bit. So what's that series then? That's the Alt-World War II where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the 21st Century Battle Fleet gets right. sucked down into Midway. We just started off well, and there are a lot of things there that you don't normally see covered in these things. Like, of course, it's the 21st century, though, so there's black people in command and women in command mm-hmm. and a lot of other non-white people in positions that in 19, you know, 39 through 45, they just weren't in. So there was a lot of conflict there that you generally don't cover uh, mm-hmm. in these kind of books. So that was a different take on it, and I enjoyed it. And it's like I said in my Goodreads review, it's not bad. Just by the end, I was like, eh, I prefer the Destroyerman series, which kind of does the same thing. So it wasn't bad. I just have no desire to, to see where it goes. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I'm giving Ender's Game a reread because the movie's coming out later this year. And I covered that at some other point, so I won't rehash. <laughs> uh, it's all timey-wimey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> be quiet, David Tenninch. <laughs> On the comic side, I read the first uh, eight issues of the new Captain Marvel um, series from Marvel. This is another one where it's it's Carol Danvers. Uh, she's given up the title of Miss Marvel, and she's taken over the title of Captain Marvel. She's got the Nova Corps armor and all that. But it's, as I mentioned with Hawkeye last week, this is Carol Danvers uh, always away from the Avengers. So far, it's... Mm, I read the first eight, despite the fact that the art sucks. The art, I don't, they've got a couple artists that they've rotated through these first eight issues, and I hate them. It, it's just painful to read these panels, to me. Apparently, they appeal to somebody because they got eight issues, and probably more, but I thought the art was horrible, so the stories then must be very engaging, because I did get through all eight. And I and I do think the stories were engaging. It's... um. You know, how she makes the choice. There's a little interaction there with Captain America. There's a short time travel story where she goes back to the Second World War to where she meets Marvel and gets her powers and then back to the present day. So, I mean, it was a good little arc. And then I'm also reading uh, right now 
Secret Service, which was a Mark Millar mini, 2011, 2012, not that long ago. Mark Millar did Kick-Ass and a few other things. So, mm-hmm. Actually, Secret Service, I think, is also slated to be a movie. It's a fun riff so far on kind of the Bond movies. The main character is the nephew of a guy that works in the cyber fraud division of Her Majesty's government. It's set in England. And then when he's using his fraud squad authority to get the kid out of jail for like the umpteenth time, uh, he decides that the best route is to reveal that he is actually a super spy with a license to kill and recruit his nephew as the way to... Instead of going scared straight and leaving him in jail, you're going to make him a spy kind of thing. Three issues in, it's enjoyable. It's it's good. It's uh, it's a nice riff on the Bond. There's a funny... There's a funny scene right in the in, in the first book where the spy it's the intro before the Bond credits, you know. Mm-hmm. The spy has gone to rescue the hostage. The hostage, it turns out, is Mark Hamill. <laughs> and he's rescuing Mark Hamill. So and there's like the snowmobile chase and the ski chase and blah blah blah. And Hamill points out, You're at the edge of a cliff. It's okay. I got a parachute. Just hold on tight. And the snowmobile goes over the cliff. Whew, and the guy's chasing him, you know, stop and start shooting at him. And then the guy's like, wait, don't shoot. There's a problem with his parachute. And the parachute doesn't open. And Mark Hamill and the spy crash dead. <laughs> and then the chute pops open. And it's the Union Jack, just like in whichever Dalton movie that was. So it's a good riff on Bond right at the beginning. And it's a nice take on the super spy through so far. So yeah, it's uh I'm enjoying that. And if they do make it into a movie, I I think it'll be uh I think it'll be funny. And that's really all I got on the reading. Since I'm not painting anything right now, since my basement is in disarray, I uh, I'm not listening to anything. I am reading X Heroes by Peter Kleins. Covered that when we talked to Jamie, so I won't do that again here. So then just for all, all the only other thing I included, because you and I talked about it recently, so I thought I'd go ahead and say it on here, um, minus my rant on it. But I am, I've added the Dice Tower news to my podcast listen for my commute. Uh, so I, you know, last time I talked about how I've been rearranging some stuff and ended up adding B, BJ Shea's Geek Nation in. Uh, so now I'm at it, I've added in Dice Tower news. I love the BGG hotness section. <laughs> Minus the hotness, which is on here. Let's see right there. Minus the hotness. Uh, I actually wrote that down, uh, which I don't get, but everything else I like, you know, 10-ish minutes or so every other day, three days a week. Very easy, quick, short listen. Get to hear about some gaming stuff, some Kickstarter stuff. Uh, and basically I'm almost uh, done with it by the time I get out of town, especially now all the wonderful construction so it was a good ad because i i got to a point i think it was last week or the week before where i actually had nothing to listen to so my I've been god to, man how I did know. you do it it's called the cd that's been in my car forever and hasn't had a play in a CD, long time what's that so yeah you know so i've been kind of trying to figure out some some things to fill the gap because the things like like feeb right now they're not recording consistently because Scott Mosier's working on something and he's always out of, you know, he's always in Dallas and stuff. So some, some of the stuff I usually listen to isn't as consistent right now because of scheduling, which <laughs> know nothing about. <laughs> so I'm just trying to find some, some other things to help in there. So that's all I had for this section. What we're playing. <laughs> uh, we had the game day recently since our last recording. 
Had some fun there. I got in another game of Legendary, which I continue to like. That's the Marvel Deck Builder. Got in a good game of Blood Bowl Team uh, League Manager with a couple people. One new person, and uh, Don was there, mm-hmm. and he was playing that. Got in a few good games of Pack and Stack, where I dominated until I burned out really fast. Pack and Stack, I don't know if you've played that. It's I have not. It's uh, you probably, you've, to- you've told me about yeah, it. You wouldn't yeah. like it, then, since You're it's right. spatial relations. I know, yeah. Then got in a good game of uh, Lords of Waterdeep, which I oh, was like nice. I didn't even play. I finished that far back. I didn't make it around the second corner. I was I, still in the I saw 30s. that out. I didn't realize yeah. you had played it. Yeah. Then uh, this past... Still waiting for that expansion to come out? Someday. Someday. I'm sure they're waiting for fifth, Ed. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, got in a game of uh, Warhammer with Jordahl, preparing for bits. I sh- or not bits. Is he... Yeah, he's prepping for bits, I think. Yeah, Blood in the Sun next month. Uh, and then, uh, what else here? Oh, yeah, last weekend I was in Roch for a draft at, uh, a Heroclix draft at Book Review, and that was really fun. Uh, it was a new Teen Titans set just came out, and I hadn't really researched that one a lot, so there were a lot of figures there that I wasn't familiar with. And I got a figure that just awesome power. He just pulsed wave. <laughs> pulse wave two teams to death. I went one and three. I should say one and two. I probably should have gone two and one. But it was a fun game. He just sat in a corner and just blew everybody up as they came close to him. <laughs> if not for some unexpected willpower in what should have been the kill clicks for uh my second opponent's team, I probably should have won that game. But willpower prevented some damage that I've been dealing. Ah, you bastard. Pete. <laughs> and then after that, I got in a game of uh Dungeon Command with Mike, mm-hmm. and uh that's fun. That's a nice little minis game. No dice, it's all card driven. It's it's pretty simple. Uh well of course it's based on fourth ed. But it's enjoyable. It's uh it, it's a fun little, you know, mover. Yeah, it's I highly recommend it. Uh and then uh we also got together and we played uh with the Geek Ladies, uh Love Letter, Vegas and Escape, Curse of the Temple. Hello, ladies. Hello, geek ladies. <laughs> Yeah, and then also for review, we played uh, BitShift and Zerpang. Mm-hmm. And that's really all I've got. It's actually been a busy uh, busy month for me in the gaming side. So let's see, for the game day, I got in uh, Netrunner. So I got to play Android Netrunner with Kakarl. Oh, yeah, I got a game of that in with uh, Don, too. Did you? Yeah. Well, I played with Kakarl. Kakarl. <laughs> uh, which was actually really good because that, uh, that was that deck I built that morning. So I built a deck real quick, a runner deck, and uh got Carl wanted to play, and he's like, well, I'm, I usually play Corp. I'm like, ah, perfect. I can test this out. And won. So I don't know if that means it works or Carl's not that great. I'll let, I'll let everybody that was watching the game decide. <laughs> I got to play. Uh, Nate has a uh, shout-out number two. Nate has a new prototype he's working on, so I got to play that. A nice uh, little hidden movement game. It was kind of cool. We got to play that, and it was, uh, I don't know if it was his first time he brought it out, or because I know he was he was a little nervous about potential feedback or how the hidden movement stuff was going to work. But a uh, pretty decent game. Had fun with it. And then I played, I finally, finally played Don's Godzilla game. That doesn't mean anything to anybody potentially listening unless you're local. But Don's Godzilla game has been done, and well, I think we had him talk about it when he was here. Yep. Uh, I mean, he's it's he's had years, years and years and years, 
And every time Don and I are in the same space, we're both running games. So I've never gotten to play it. I've always gotten people coming over to my table while I'm teaching other games and going, oh, yeah, Don's game, that's Godzilla game's awesome. Blah, blah. So I finally got to play it. So that was great. Uh, speaking of Don, I think he's going to be here next. Is it our next recording? Yep. Yeah. So June 4th. Yeah. Don, uh, Don's coming back to give us an anime segment. And then I played Legendary with you at the end of the night. So yep. we got that in. Let's see. We played Spartacus over at Jordals. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah I forgot about that. Yeah, I can't forget about Spartacus. <sighs> Jordal costing everybody the win <laughs> by not paying attention to Jeff. <laughs> uh, it was a good game. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally did get to get that to the table because like, I, I played it kind of the north and I'd love to. I'd love for us to play it again sometime, and uh, hopefully not too distant future here, we'll have an expansion for it, uh, which is the big thing for us, I think, because to bring it to a game night, I mean, it maxes, it's three or four players. Sometimes we can get by with a four-player game. Sometimes if you actually typically plan for a four-player game, you're going to get five, six people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, But everybody had been wanting to play it, so we got to play it. Uh, and actually that's one I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't mind playing a few more times and reviewing. I know Megan's interested in it as well. Escape Curse of the Temple, we played a lot of that night. <laughs> like three, four games. Four, like. yeah. But uh, that's one that's, it's literally only 11 minutes long. Yeah. So. But we won't talk about win versus loss ratio. Yeah. <laughs> we won at least. A lot one. of fun though. Yeah. A lot of fun though. Love, I, I love playing that, that game with the surround sound and everything. Uh, Love Letter we played, like you said, Vegas we played. And then beyond that, let's see, uh, still slogging through the original Dead Island when I can. And. Well, you won't be getting an Xbox One, so you got plenty of time to finish uh, yeah, that and then yeah, Riptide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. Well, I don't know how you are, but I'm the kind of guy that's like, oh, I'm going to do all of those side quests. So I'm not just powering through the main. I'm doing all the side quests. I started off doing that, but then I looked at my quest list and it was like 18 yeah. pages long. And I'm like, screw that. I... Mine's 18 pages long of finished quests. <laughs> uh, the only ones I, I, I'm not doing are the recurring ones. Like mm. bring me more champagne, that chick, or bring me batteries. Or, yeah. You know, okay. I've done those a couple of times if I need cash or something like that, but. Uh, yeah, I'm doing all the side quests and stuff. So, uh, yep, still slogging through Dead Island. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've actually kind of enjoyed going back to it. Are there still people playing it online? Do you ever get people popping in? Uh, well, I turned that off a oh, okay. long time ago because people did pop in on me. And at one time, somebody was, I don't know what the hell he's doing, but, you know, if I'm playing by myself, I got up, went, I don't know, made a sandwich or something, came back, there's somebody like, <laughs> so I, I finally turned that off. Uh, I'm just, I'm not a multiplayer kind of person. So and in fact, I think, uh, Kyle sent me a message once cause he saw me online. It's like, Oh, you're playing dead Island alone, huh? Want some company? Good. No. <laughs> Orcs must die too. Uh, still loving that. I still hit that up every, every couple days. It's usually, that's a good one for me. Well, again, we talked about the bad day thing, so blow shit up. But other than that, it's like there's a small window sometimes, depending on when I get home, from when I get home to when Megan gets home. So I don't want to be too involved. So it's it's one of those really nice things that I fire up, play a level, two levels. Oh, she's home. I'm out mm -hmm. kind of thing. So I love that game for that. Uh, that and I just get to blow shit up. 
War of the Overworld. Have you saw, have you seen this at all? This used to be a, this was a Kickstarter. It was a Kickstarter I almost backed and it was just like, mm, just last minute I decided not to, but now it's on Steam and it's the, they call it the Bedrock Beta. It's really more of an alpha, but it's basically in the vein of Dungeon Keeper. Okay. So your dungeon simulator and stuff like that. So, uh, I grabbed that the other day. So they, they've got it up. I mean, it's, it's something like 22 bucks or something like that. You're in on the alpha, but I mean, you're basically pre buying the game. You're going to get the game and any, and then the updates as it goes along. Uh, so I messed around with that a little bit. I kind of need to go through the tutorial stuff, uh, on the forums. There's not like, here's your tutorial in the game right now. It's straight in. And there's a few things I'm, I'm assuming either aren't functioning or I'm not understanding how to make them happen. Uh, but I did do a lot of exploring and stuff like that. So it was kind of interesting. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love the dungeon keeper stuff. So yeah, they were good. Yeah. So that's, that's why, that's why I was so hesitant. I was like, ah, I want to back this, but not right now. Uh, so this is up. That's kind of cool. Temple Run 2, I know you got rid of. Mm-hmm. There's new environmental stuff. So, yeah. um, no, that, that's been kind of, no, I'm not saying you have to get back into it because it doesn't, I mean, it's just, hey, there's, there's a couple more things I have to jump, duck, or leap, you know, slide under. Uh, but it is kind of interesting. There's a, there's one section that drives me a little batty. Not batty as in like, this is, the play is sucky. It's, it's, you talked about before how you don't like being, you're not really a big Twitch gamer. Mm-hmm. There's a section where you're like, it's like basically like single file planks now over like, extended air and they just seem to zag a lot mm. and then they also have like uh blocks uh, on them sometimes so you have to jump over it and then they have stones come down and destroy it so you got to do the leap uh thing so that part bothers me a little bit. but they put like this like uber chainsaw in the mines that you got to duck under now even harrison ford didn't have to do that <laughs> so it's kind of interesting and then i want to point out uh roll for it on android uh, you, oh, it's on Android. Yeah, yeah, it's on. Well, it started on Android just recently. It got approved for iOS. Uh-huh. Uh, it's on Android. It's free. Roll for it. It was a Kickstarter, which is why you know, I talked earlier about uh, Calliope Games. You know, again, that's why I was going to talk to Ray and hope to uh, still. And the designer of Roll for it, I know, uh, Chris Later. Uh, is a, a game crafter alumni. In fact, Roll for it started there and, uh, before Calliope picked it up. So he's got a, he, during the Kickstarter, he put out the free app. So yeah, Roll for it is out there. It's basically a dice card game. Uh, it's basically, you know, shake the dice, match them to the cards, get yep. the points for it. So fun little game. I had, I don't know if Megan's grabbed it yet, but I told Megan to, to check it out because it's right up her alley too. It's a, it's a nice casual game. Uh, I think we've talked about it in the past, but, I want to, it's free, uh, but even if you charge for it, we want to kind of support board game type stuff coming to Android because we desperately need it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was it. That's what I had. So I think that finally brings <laughs> to the end here. I think uh, it does. I think we are wrapping up here at the Geek Compound. So thanks for joining us again, and we will see you next time. I'm Jeff King. And I am the Canadian. Thanks for listening. I've got a hundred thousand comics carefully collected, and all the action figures for them carefully selected. The posters and promotions for each superhero movie. My ringtones rank inverter and Ash saying, I've got each permutation of the Xbox and PlayStation. My anime collection is the finest in the nation.